A lot of times the homes that we live in are not healthy for us and they're actually hurting us. And homes should be the opposite. The home should be our sanctuary. I'm Ryan Blazer and this is the Lifestylist Podcast. All right, Lifestylist, we've got another banger of a New Year's show for you today. Last week on our first show of 2023, we of course explored the inner landscape through meditation, mindfulness, and breath work with Manoj Diaz. And my intention there was to set our mindset in the right direction for the new year. And we're continuing the New Year's theme this week, but we'll instead be focusing on our outer environment, specifically the health of our home. This is episode 452, Homesick, How Testing and Mitigating Mold, Water, and EMF Can Save Your Home and Your Health with Ryan Blazer. And you guys, trust me when I say you're going to want the show notes, links, and transcripts for this one. And you can find them at lukestory.com slash testmyhome. Our guest, Ryan Blaser, is an electrical engineer, certified building biologist, environmental consultant, and electromagnetic radiation specialist, and sits on the board of directors for the Building Biology Institute. This guy's got over 20 years of experience as an electrical engineer and worked for the Department of Energy and as an air quality specialist for the Department of Environmental Quality. So Ryan's experience has deeply informed his understanding of how environments play a vital role in our health and our well-being. Combining his extensive technical and environmental background, he founded the most cool company I think I've ever found called Test My Home. TestMyHome.com conducts indoor environmental assessments to determine the health of the building and how the environment is affecting its occupants. His team takes scientific measurements with the latest in advanced technology and uses calibrated meters to detect toxic exposures in the built environment. And that, you guys, is exactly what he and his team did for this interview. They went through every nook and cranny of our home. Then we discussed not only what they found, but also his entire protocol in detail. So on this one, Ryan explains the new and incredibly important field of building biology and why you need it to be sure your home is truly safe. We talk about the numerous hidden dangers present in modern homes and what we can do to mitigate these without sacrificing our comfortable lifestyles. So listen up. If you're one of the listeners with questions about water, mold, EMF, and interior lighting, this one's going to offer immense value. And the icing on the cake is that you can also hire Ryan's team to do the same damn thing in your home. To do so, visit lukestory.com slash home testing for a special offer on Ryan's extensive building biology resources. As I've learned over the years, trying to figure this stuff out on your own can be extremely confusing and frustrating. So if you want help, again, visit lukestray.com slash home testing and they'll get you dialed in. And take note of this. I've also included a bonus for this episode as well. Click on the show notes to watch an additional video interview with Ryan where we went over the actual test results from my home as well as the solutions you'll need to make your home the perfect environment for health. Again, you'll find that bonus video in the show notes. Now, we covered a lot here, and I was tempted to just kind of gloss it over, but I think it'll serve all of us if I just bullet out some of the things we get into here because it's so damn interesting and I think useful to everyone. First, we cover air testing, so mold detection, remediation do's and don'ts, toxic cleaning products, the importance of using your oven's exhaust fan, HVAC systems and controlling humidity, adding UV lights to air con coils, natural pest control, dangerous personal care products and scented candles, and of course, the best filtration you can find. Next, we explore water testing, the various ways to filter, whole house versus point of use systems, reverse osmosis versus distillation, and hard water solutions. 
Then we get into the lighting testing, blue light mitigation and the best bulbs available, the dangers of light flicker and the worst and best bulbs, overhead lighting versus sconces, and the downside of dimmer switches. Then last but definitely not least, we cover one of my favorite topics, EMF testing and mitigation. We cover the difference between 5G networks in the air versus on your phone and why the setting on your phone doesn't matter. A little spoiler alert there. Metal detectors versus millimeter wave machines at the airport. The mixed bag of smart meters. Alarm system EMF. Why wireless baby monitors are a really bad idea. Mitigating wireless audio and smart TVs. How devices like printers can emit EMF even when turned off. Yeah, I discovered that. It's crazy. But I fixed it and you'll learn how. The EMF level of electric guitars, low versus high EMF saunas, the risks of wireless mouse and keyboard setups, putting phone on airplane mode versus turned off. And take note on this topic specifically, as I've been posting about this for a while, and I learned from Ryan that I had some of this wrong. So we're going to correct that in this episode. We also define dirty electricity and how to fix it. Solar panels is a common source of EMF. Finding magnetic fields from things like pool equipment and fluorescent lighting fixtures and Ryan's opinion on the various quantum physics EMF products on the market. So as you can tell, this one's extremely thorough. I'm actually shocked that we were able to pack all of this into one episode, but we did. But like I said, it's the new year, so there's no better time to begin making our homes and our offices, for that matter, as healthy as possible. So here we go. Enjoy the show, and please share it with a few friends. All right, Ryan Blazer, here we are, man. Let's do this. Yes. So you and I spent the day yesterday, along with uh, your cohort, testing every possible contaminant in the known universe in our house here, uh, which was a really fascinating experience. So some of the things I'd like to do today is unpack a little of that and educate people on all the things that we can look for to make our home environment or work environment, for that matter, more biocompatible and healthy. So I'm super stoked to have this conversation because it's going to answer so many questions that I get from listeners on an ongoing basis. And many of those answers, I don't know until I talk to someone like you. So I'm pumped to do this. Before we get started, I I never asked you yesterday because we just got so busy. What did you do with your career before you started your company, Test My Home, and started doing the stuff that you're doing now? Yeah. What's your background? So I've always kind of been fascinated with the environment and how the environment interacts with our body and how our body reacts to certain things in our environment. Uh, Starting at an early age, grew up in Idaho, and we used to have these parties out in, in the wilderness and the campfire. And I always noticed that around the campfire, people look better than you do under the blue light and the green light. Uh, it's just that glow, that warm glow. It just seems to make everybody look good. And so that was fascinating to me how the environment can affect us on a good way. And so I went to college, got a, a degree in electrical engineering, and we started a company in Phoenix designing nightclubs, building nightclubs, the environmental part of it. So we would take a vanilla box, uh, which is basically just sheetrock walls, and we'd turn it into a nightclub or a church or a high-end restaurant. And we would dial in specific lighting, specific acoustics, lighting, sounds, anything to entertain the mind, to entertain the body, to stimulate, to make people feel good. And so you know, we had all the colors dialed in. The, we had this alpha wave generator that we would install that we'd run the music through. It would actually produce alpha waves in the brain. And there's a whole study behind this with psychoacoustic analysis. Oh, cool. That's funny. It reminds me of the conversation I had prior to you arriving today. Yeah. You know, so you know, doing that eight, 
10 years, I started to get kind of sick though and realized that there's certain environments that I just don't feel as good in and certain environments I do feel. And one of them that I felt really good in was the recording studios where it was really EMF proof, EMF free, because we would have to make sure there was no interference on the line, no interference going through the air. Otherwise, we'd have these hums and ticks and buzzes on the sound and on the video. So by nature, we were making these EMF-free environments, and I found that I felt really good in these environments. That's so interesting because when we tested my Fender Telecaster electric guitar yesterday and found it was producing all this electric field from t- when you touch the strings, essentially, you're getting blasted. And I'm like, great. That explains why Keith Richards looks like he does. Yeah. God bless him. <laughs> but I've always thought about, oh, those poor musicians. I mean, even before we tested my guitar, I've always thought they're sitting in front of the recording console. They have all these amplifiers, magnetic fields, electronics plugged in everywhere. They're touching them. There's wires crossed. It's funny you say that because I've always thought recording studios must be the worst EMF environments there are. And, you know, and that's the interesting thing about pro audio is that it comes in a shielded cable. So it has three wires versus just your regular home audio stuff, which is two wires. So that third cable acts as a shield. So if you take apart a pro audio cable, you'll see this tinfoil around it that's shielded and grounded. So if you do it properly, everything in the environment is going to be completely shielded. That's amazing. I feel yeah. so much better for my musician friends now. Yeah, I'm thinking of one in particular, my friend Doyle. I'm going to tell him about this conversation because he's always asking me about this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of dove into the other side, the dark side of the environment. We got really good at stimulating in the positive side. But then the dark side, like the mold, the chemicals, the EMF exposure poor lighting. What are these things doing to our body? Are they affecting our body? And the more I looked into it, I realized that yes, they are affecting our body. In fact, a lot. And so I actually took a month off and I went up into the wilderness up in Idaho. So I'm from Idaho and there's this place between Sun Valley and Stanley. We hiked 13 miles up in there and I stayed for about a month with a buddy of mine. Wow. And I'll tell you what, by the end of that month, I felt better than I'd ever felt in my life. And the salmon were spawning and we took a bag of rice up with us with some salt and we were just catching fish and eating it and the bears were there. It was the most crazy experiment. But I realized that a lot of times all we really need is nature. That's our bodies love nature. The natural sunlight every single day, the fresh water coming out of the ground, the natural fish, obviously all organic up there. You know, none of this technology around us. And my body loved that. And so it got me thinking, okay, how can we implement this in our day-to-day basis? How can I go back into the matrix, as you call it, the real life, and still get this feeling like I feel the in nature. unreal life. <laughs> right, exactly. The facsimile of life. Yeah, bring that ancestral lifestyle back into the home. So I just got, took different jobs in different areas. One of the first jobs I took was for the Department of Environmental Quality. I wanted to learn all about air quality and how that affects. Interestingly enough, so they have this call every morning that there's maybe 20 or 30 people from across the state. There's a, someone from the government office, a meteorologist, the air quality specialist, and they determine how many units you can pollute each day. So this happens every single morning all across the country, depending on how much pollution is already in the air, what way the air is moving. And so my job was to call up different polluters and say, all right, you're allowed to do 15,000 pollution units today based on the air and the, the, what's already in the air quality. Because there were certain levels that we, the government wanted everybody to maintain. Well, after doing this for a while, I noticed every time it'd get really stormy, and cloudy that some of these polluters were polluting much more than they were supposed to. So I brought this up to my boss and hey, you know, let's go write these guys a ticket. You know, that's I got I came here to protect the environment and do all this cool stuff. And he's like, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. You know, I seen it happen a couple of times. Eventually I took some pictures of it, filmed it, you know, stuff coming out of their smokestack when they weren't supposed to. And I sent it to the main office in uh, Boise. Well, the next day I got called into the office and got fired. 
really like, on the spot. And they're like, you need to not be meddling with stuff. You know, you're looking in places you shouldn't be looking. And that scared the wow. crap out of Holy cow, this is the agencies that's supposed to be protecting us. And here I am getting fired for trying to do my job. So that even just drove me even more. Okay, what, what else is there? So I took a job working for Department of Energy out at a nuclear facility. Required a high-level security clearance. And we did nuclear waste cleanup that had a lot of toxic chemical. Learned all about toxic chemicals and nuclear. And then after that, I started working. I had a buddy that did mold remediation. He's like, you know, come help me work for a little bit. Started working there. I wasn't taking mold very seriously. You know, if I saw it, I'd put on a mask. But for the most part, go in, we're tearing walls out. I started to get really sick. At the same time, I'd bought this cooler from an auction at a restaurant. or It was a walk-in cooler. Bought it to the house. I thought it'd be like a cool little hangout shop out behind my house. Well, come to find out the thing was infested with black mold. I didn't know about it. I got so sick. Uh, I was going to the hospital. They thought I had stomach cancer, a whole range of issues that they couldn't really dial in. And finally, I went to a functional medicine doctor and they tested me for mold. I, my, it was off the charts with mold toxicity. Wow. So, so you tried to detox. make a man cave out of a... Yeah, walk-in freezer. Oh, yeah. It was really cool. It was sweet. <laughs> but every time it rained, water was dripping through the cracks. Sure, you know? sure. So it was uh, like inside the, the Yeah, wall, inside right? the walls was black mold. And it had been, you know, it was a 30-year-old walk-in cooler. Of course, right. it was moldy. But I wasn't, the, it was smelled funny, but I had a cool man cave for 500 bucks. And, right. But got super sick. And so at that point, it, it, pro- it might have been EMF shielded at least because the metal it was. Walls, it was. It was EMF shielded. Oh, yeah. That's cool. And I was actually this whole time doing EMF experiments because I already knew 15 years ago that EMF was affecting me. Right. So, you know, about that time, uh, my wife was pregnant with my son and we wanted to have someone come to our house, just kind of check everything over to make sure there was nothing wrong with our home. And there really wasn't nobody that came to do the full checkup. And that's when the light bulb kind of clicked. This is the time. Let's start a business. Let's go into people's homes and do the full range of testing for everything, anything in the environment that could cause illness, stress, sickness. Let's go in and dial it in for people and create these perfect environments. Because a lot of times the homes that we live in are not healthy for us and they're actually hurting us. And homes should be the opposite. The home should be our sanctuary. Totally, man. You're, yeah. you're speaking my language, brother. Yep. I look at uh, kind of a 30,000 foot view of the human species and the pathology that we've devolved into, (laughs) right? And you said like how great you felt just going out and sequestering yourself in the woods for a month. I personally believe that everything psychologically and, and physically, spiritually, that's wrong with us is because of exactly what you're talking about, that we're Mm -hmm. living in these chemical laden EMF cutoff. We're like isolating ourselves from what we are. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like, oh, when I look out that window, oh, there's nature out there. I'm looking at myself. I am that, right? Yep. And I'm cutting myself off from what I actually am mm-hmm. if I'm living you know, in an enclosed space without the intentionality that we're going we're gonna to talk about today. And this has always driven me nuts, or at least in, once I became aware of it, because everyone's running around you know, like chickens with their heads cut off, arguing about what diet you should be on and should you eat potatoes or chickens? It's like, dude, we we live in these poison little self-imposed prisons that we call houses and office buildings and storefronts and, and shit. And it's like, God, that's the problem. Yet, if even though if I acknowledge that I am that nature out there, it's not practical and frankly, even legal in most places on the planet, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. of this superimposed matrix system called civilization that we've put on the earth 
even if I wanted to go out there and live, I really couldn't. Mm-hmm. A, I don't have the skills to do so. And wh- who's going to allow me to do so, right? How do mm-hmm. I get out of social security number and taxes and mm-hmm. just be a wild human? You can't really do it. They won't let you, even if you knew how. So then my question is, how do we make our homes as close to that out there as we can, which it seems like is what you're really good at doing. Right. Yeah. And you know, in the last five years, it's blown me away how many people are sick and not just sick, like, oh, I'm sick. There's something wrong with me, but their brain isn't thinking as clear. They don't have the energy like they used to. Their testosterone levels are low. Their hormones are off. There's so many issues that we can stem back to the environment, including aging, which I do believe that aging is somewhat optional. You know, I think that we have a control over that and we can control that to a certain extent, but it all seems to go back to the environment. It's like, if you want to clean the fish, you need to clean the fish bowl. You got to start with a clean fish bowl. It's right. really important. So this is like macro terrain theory. Right? Yeah. We're talking about the actual terrain that we as an organism exist within Yeah, and whether or not we're going to thrive or decline is dependent on the actual nature of that environment. Yep. And we've built these little boxes now that we all live in and they're all mostly synthetic. A lot of our lives are synthetic. The chemicals are synthetic. A lot of the food, the GMO is synthetic. The paints, the building materials, the plastics, it's all synthetic. The lighting, it's no longer the natural sunlight. We're living underneath these strobe lights or the CFO bulbs or the blue light. Everything that used to be natural to us has been replaced with something synthetic and our bodies do not like it. And that's why we're seeing a lot of issues we're seeing today. I like how you put that, synthetic. Yeah. We live in a fake-ass world and we're paying the price for it. <laughs> All right, so, so that kind of sets up a good, a good foundation, right? If, if it's not practical to get back to nature in a permanent sense where we spend you know, all of our time out there ostensibly, uh, then how can we create that inside, right? And that mm-hmm. is where someone um, that I would refer to, I think this is what you are, building biologist, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're looking at the, the living organism of a structure, essentially. Could you define a building biologist from your perspective? Yeah, building biologist is just the study of how our bodies interact with the built environment. So we, you look at kind of our skin, you know, and then we have our second skin, which is our clothing that we put on to protect us. And our third skin is our home. And that all interacts with each other. And it's all meant to protect us from the outside environment. But like I said, unfortunately, a lot of times it's synthetic and it's not protecting us. In fact, it's doing us a lot of harm. Like we were talking about drywall yesterday and like that, I think it was Marius that said uh, that there's like the drywall industry has a stranglehold on legislation and, and imports and tariffs and whatever. So you, you really can't build your house out of anything other than drywall here. And it's like the most suboptimal material to put on the inside of your house for a number of different reasons, mold, uh, not the least of which, yes. you know, it's just like, ah, we do so many things backwards. So a building yep. biologist is is helping us to, to recreate or modify our environment so that it's more biologically compatible. Yes. So, yep, that's what we do is we create healthy living environments for people. We bring that nature back into the built environment to almost where it's, it's one again. Got it. Yep. Right. Okay, cool. So, um, in the interest of being organized, hopefully, and covering all the things I want to cover, which frankly is probably more of a 12-hour podcast than what we have time for, <laughs> we're going to go until we can't go no more. But I thought we'd kind of break it up into, you know, the things that you that you did here and that you do, right? Air testing, uh, water testing, lighting, and EMF. Those are kind of, you know, the the overarching themes of what we're looking for. So because I haven't done a show on uh, air quality, I don't think. I mean, we talked about it, but not really too much of a deep dive. Let's start with that. 
And I think the, you know, the elephant in the room of sorts is this ubiquitous problem of mold contamination. So Mm -hmm. maybe you could, you know, in, in the interest of time, give us kind of a truncated overview of where, how you see mold as a problem right now. Why is it something we want to be concerned with? And then, of course, like, what can we do about it? Yep. You know, and mold is almost its own category. So it's such a big deal. Totally. But it, and I have done fun. one show. We'll put in the show notes, you guys. Uh, sorry to interrupt. I did one show with Michael Rubino, the mold medic, uh, which you can find in today's show notes at lukestory.com slash test my home. That's the show notes for this episode. We'll link to that one. So if people know there is like a two hour mold conversation, but anyway, carry on. Yeah. And he's really smart too. There's a lot of guys out there that have really dialed in on just mold. It is such a big issue. You know, that's one of the true pandemics of our age. It's drywall has a lot to do with it. That's it's an like, actual pandemic. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I like that. Yep. <laughs> Without the L yes. at the front. Um, drywall is like cheesecake for mold. It loves that stuff. It's paper. It's ground down food. It's like a smorgasbord. And, and we have that in these wall cavities. All it takes is a little moisture in there, some, some mold and a mold spore, and, it, and it's going to start growing. You know, we need food, water, and a mold spore for mold. And mold spores are all over in the environment. But when it becomes a problem is when that mold spore lands on a food source and then gets some moisture or some water, then it starts to grow. As it's growing, it's releasing mycotoxins. And the mycotoxin is its defense mechanism. That's how it's kind of claiming its territory. Oh, I thought the mycotoxins was their excrement. So their excrement is the mold VOC, the MVOC. So when you walk into a house and you smell that musty smell, Uh that's MVOC. Oh, really? Yep. That's mold. That's mold farts. Poop. Mold farts. Mold farts. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. That's disgusting. I know that smell too. Yep. Sometimes you, you book a hotel, right? Mm-hmm. You walk in the room, you're like, something's off. And it took me years to figure out, oh, it's mold. That's the mold smell. Get out. Run. Yep. That means you have a live active source somewhere. Okay. Okay. If you take the water away, the mold's going to go dormant. It's okay. still going to be there. You're still going to have the mold, the mycelium, the mycotoxin. But it's no longer going to be eating. It's no longer like it's kind of dormant, like a sleeping bear waiting for water. Okay. Okay. Now the mycotoxin, it puts off the mycotoxin to protect its area. There's thousands of different species of mold, all kind of fighting for their own food, their own territory. So that specific species is immune to its own mycotoxin, but all the others, it will kill it off. Now we kind of get caught in the crossfires of that because it can be very toxic for us. In fact, the government has used black mold, stachybotrys, They've taken the mycotoxin and broken it down and created the nerve gas. So the nerve gases and the biological warfare is actually created from, at least some of them, are created from the black mold mycotoxin because it's so harmful. It can actually kill people, pets, small children. It's very, very dangerous. And that's one of the biggest ones that's really making people sick. Of course, there's a whole handful. So, but the second part to the mold is the mold spores that are getting released when it's active. And that's to go to another area and set up shop over there and start growing. So it can release millions, if not billions, of these mold spores that's traveling through the air. So when we go into a home that's moldy, it's not the actual mold that's growing under your sink that's making you sick, unless you get down on your hands and knees and lick it, and no one's doing that. What's happening is it's these biotoxins that are coming off of the mold that are traveling through the air. They settle in the couch, they settle on the pillow, and we sit down, lay on bed, and then we breathe this stuff in. Okay, And that's where we become affected. So day in and day out, it's a big, huge stressor on our immune system. Our body sees that as a poison. Our liver has to detoxify that, and it can eventually start to build up in the body. Now, there is 25% of the population that's actually allergic to mold, just kind of like there's people that are allergic to gluten or peanuts that it affects on a much, much different level. Those people become really, really sick. But 
pretty much anybody that's going to be exposed to mycotoxins is going to have some health effects from it. Got it. It's interesting too, the way the mold illness works. It seems to often um, have a relationship with things like Lyme disease, right? You hear mm-hmm. like these kind of co-diagnosis situations where people have some sort of autoimmune or Lyme and mold kind of seems to dance with those other partners quite frequently. It's just, it's becoming so common. I think that's why I'm just kind of want to shout from the rooftops like, hey, we, got, we, should, we need to become aware of this yeah, because it can be so detrimental to health. And one of those things like EMF, as we're going to discuss shortly, um, because it's invisible, you could be sick for years or even literally die from exposure and have no idea that's what it was, right? It's right. just like lurking behind your wall yeah. from some old leak that you didn't know about behind your drywall. It's like so annoying. Yeah, like I was you telling know? you about the Brittany Murphy Right, tell us that story. That was a good one. Yeah, we watched that documentary. She passed away in her home and she was really, really sick. And they thought maybe her husband had done something to her or drug overdose or whatever. But on the uh, autopsy, it was pneumonia and some lung infection. Well, six months later, as they're kind of investigating, trying to figure out what actually happened, her husband dies of the same exact thing. And so they move out. Somebody ends up buying the home. They go in to do some renovation to fix it up. Turns out the whole thing was infested with black mold. So they were in there getting poisoned. And a lot of it's brain fog, fatigue, chronic sickness, illness. I mean, there's a whole range of things. Because mm-hmm. what it does, it attacks your body and your immune system. So now your body's like, we got to take care of the mold. We got to get this out of the system. Everything else that's building up in the body, all, like all the soldiers are going for the mold. Now everything else can start to pick up in the body. Ah, right. That and might explain some of these co-infections and things like that. Yeah, yeah. because we all have a little bit of EB virus. We all have these bacteria and viruses that our body is keeping in check. But once something foreign comes in, now the body has to shift to get rid of that. Now these guys can sneak in the back door and start building up forces. Got and it. it's when too many things are happening at once, that's when people start getting chronically ill. Got chronically it. Sick. But the idea is let's catch that before your body gets to that point. Excellent. Love yeah. it. Okay. There's so much I want to cover. I got to be mindful not to get too too granular here with you because I could go <laughs> off on any of these for hours. Let's talk about maybe some of the the sources of mold. And I, and I think if I'm not mistaken, something Michael said that really caught me, uh, Rubino, the mold medic, was that by the time you see physical visible mold, it's already been there for a, you know, a while. Like in 48 hours, you're pretty much guaranteed to have mold growing in a wet, dark place, basically. Mm-hmm. Way before you see like, oh my God, there's a bunch of mold over there. Right. And you break down just like its visibility, how it proliferates, how quickly it will develop, things like that. Yeah, some, some simple things I like to have my clients start out with is go to your toilet tanks and look in your toilet tank. If you open up the toilet tank and look underneath and you see mold growing, it's a probably a good chance that you have mold somewhere else in your home. Because what that means is the mold spores are floating through the air. You flush the toilet, it pulls in air as the water's going down. What do we have? A nice, dark, wet environment. So it's almost like a Petri dish in your house. So go through your home you know, when you're done with this podcast and go check behind all of the toilets in the toilet tank. And if you have mold in there, there's a good chance you probably have a mold source somewhere in your house that's affecting you. Another thing you can do is look underneath all of the sinks. Sinks are a really common place because we get a slow drip. If you see any kind of water damage or any kind of warping of the wood, that's an indication that we could have mold growth behind the sink. And like Michael was saying, it's a lot of times it's the tip of the iceberg. What you can see visibly and you start inspecting usually turns out to something much worse. Also, around showers is another really common place. All it takes is one little hairline crack somewhere and you're taking a shower every single day and water's running back behind there and you're feeding a big mold source back there. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. cool. And from what I understand, 
if you find mold in your house, the last thing you want to do is start poking around at it, right? You would want to, I mean, depend on the severity of it, I guess, but you wouldn't like just rip off some drywall because you thought mold was back there and start tearing it apart and putting it back. Like there's very specific remediation practices and, you know, experts, technicians that you would have do that for you. Yep. Yeah. If you're going through and you're doing some of these preliminary checks and you start seeing water damage, you see drywall that's bubbling, or maybe you know that you had a leak somewhere, the water heater broke and it flooded through the second level all the way to the basement and you didn't really do anything about it. We can pretty much bet that we got some mold there. But if, if we go through those steps and you look for anything that doesn't look right, that's when you want to call someone in to, because the worst thing that you want to do is expose and open that up and just release billions of mold spores and mycotoxins out into the environment. So they're going to come in with plastic and they're going to set up a containment and they're going to have negative air pressure. They're going to be, they're going to have masks and suits and respirators. I mean, it's going to look like there's nuclear waste in there and you know, you really need to treat it that way. <laughs> right. It's going to look yeah. like Wuhan circa exactly. early 2020. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shouldn't make jokes like that, but um, what are you going to do? The world's insane. I'm pretty much obsessed with water. In fact, I've dedicated around a dozen shows to it. Why? Because water is the basis of all life, including ours. 99% of the molecules in our body are made of water. I've been playing around with ways to restore the natural structure or order of my water for years. And to be honest, until now, it's been challenging to determine what works and what doesn't. So I was beside myself with excitement when I found this thing called the Analemma Wand. From the moment I got it, I have literally used it on all of our drinking water ever since. And I even use it to structure the water in our pool and ice bath. Check it out. The guys over at Analemma did a study showing it unleashes the body's own natural rejuvenating power, resulting in 1 to 12 years of biological age regeneration within only three months. It's crazy. And drinking analemma water powerfully benefits the brain by calming your brain waves almost instantly. But perhaps the coolest part of all is that it's so easy to use. You simply stir your water with the quartz wand for about 30 seconds, and that water retains its structure for years. To find out more, visit analemmawater.com and use the code LUKE5 to get 5% off your purchase. That's A-N-A-L-E-M-M-A, analemmawater.com, and the code is LUKE5. And if all of this sounds too good to be true, give a listen to episode 431, where the inventors break down all the research and science on this thing. It's pretty incredible. Okay, so, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about that you and your company, Test My Home, do, uh, people are going to be like, I want to hire that guy. And there's only one of you and a few other people. So I want to, you know, let people know that all hope is not lost if they can't afford your services or you're busy or whatever. But of course, I'd love for people to reach out to you if, if they can. But when we moved in here, I didn't know you. Um, so I had, you know, standard mold testing done. I think I got overcharged by probably about 1500 bucks. But they came in and they found where the mold was. And so thus began a remodel. But it's important for people to know there are people that will come test. And as I understand it, based on my experience a couple of years ago there, that there are some companies that do testing and remediation, and there are some companies that just do one or the other. Uh, what's your perspective on, do you think there are, are many companies out there doing both the testing and remediation, right? Or should people do those independently to get better results? Let me ask you this. Would you have your child grade their own report card or grade their own test? <laughs> Probably not. You know, I mean, even if you trust them, they're on, there's still room for, you know, if, if you're taking a mold test to verify if you did a good job, how is that? 
you know, you got to have right. second. You got to have accountability. Okay, so you got to keep it separate. This could be a fox guarding the hen house situation. Yes, hundred percent. Or the the people that do the testing, if they're not integrous, they come in to do the testing and tell you have mold when you don't, so they can charge you for mediation. Well, and unfortunately, that's more of the worst case scenario. We would like to think that everyone's honest, but unfortunately, they're not. And so yeah. they could come in and make the problem seem much much worse than it really is. Come in and tear your house apart, charge you twenty grand, and then a couple tests. Oh, you're good. We fixed it on our way to the next one, you know, but more so, I think that it's really important to have someone that's just specialized in testing, Mm -hmm. do the testing and have someone that's just specialized in remediation, do the remediation. And there's plenty of companies out there like that. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Okay. Well, thinking about the air quality, I guess, as it pertains to mold, let's talk a bit about HVAC systems, right? People's AC and heating and the potential for mold growth there. Even after we did all the remediation here and remodeled, our HVAC guy found there was a bit of a water leak in the cooling unit condenser thingy Mm -hmm. and did a chemical flush because some mold had grown in there. And then instructed us to install these ultraviolet bulbs inside the coils of the AC unit, which we did. And based on your guys' testing yesterday, it didn't seem like there was mold so far. How do we deal with humidity, fresh air, recirculating air, cooling the air, heating the air, temperature differentials between inside, outside, all that as it pertains to, to mold and air quality? Yeah, that's kind of a deep question because depending on where you live, in the world or in the country, that's a completely different way to address that and look at that. And there's also some building science behind it. But basically, warm, moist air wants to attract a cold. So you think you got your cold glass in the middle of summer and you put it outside on the picnic table and it's going to collect water and run down. Same thing if you have a cold AC unit and we're pulling warm, moist air into that unit, it's going to hit the coils. We're going to have condensation. And so a typical AC unit is going to collect that water and it's going to drain outside. Okay, now if that gets plugged or that's not working properly or we get an excess amount of water, we can start to grow mold on the coils themselves. But more so if we're in a colder climate and let's say we have our ducting in the crawl space or we have it up in the attic where it's not insulated, uh, now we're running this warm, moist air through a cold surface, okay, in the ducting and it's going to condensate and we're going to get mold growth there. So, you know, just kind of think about where the air is flowing and the hot, moist air going into the cold areas and the condensation. Okay. And do yeah. you think these UV lights that you put up in the coils are, are useful? And do they really prevent growth in that area? They do. And people use them two different ways. On the coil, they're really effective. And the reason is, is you need a couple second dwell time for that UV light to penetrate into the cell wall and break mm-hmm. it down. Now, some of these systems will put a UV light in stream in the ducting as the air is flying by. That's not enough dwell time to be effective. But on the coil, I think that's a really good preventative maintenance to keep those coils nice and mold-free. And then what about humidity control, depending, again, of course, where you live. All the climates are unique. There's a lot of humidity here that I'm not quite used to yet versus Los Angeles, which is essentially a desert. Uh, But you were mentioning something yesterday, too, about this system that recirculates fresh air in the house and stuff that was compelling. Yes. Uh, I don't know if that related to the humidity, but I know some people use dehumidifiers. Some people need humidifiers. So mm-hmm. how do we work with the humidity and, and the quality of air in terms of indoor and outdoor air? Humidity is a little tough one. One of the worst jobs I've seen was in Sun Valley up in Idaho. It was really cold. It was a client that they had a, a vacation. They were from Hawaii and they liked humidity really high and they would come back half the year. Well, they left their humidity on fairly high, 60, 65 when they came back, the whole home looked like moldy cheese. 
Are you serious? Because they didn't have it heated. The insulation wasn't enough. So the walls were super cold. And now we're pumping in all this moist, humid air. It's condensating on the walls and windows. And those kind of cases can be really bad. They didn't want the dry air. But you got to think about the airflow. Again, it's that condensation that really causes a lot of issues with mold. And what was that unit you were telling me that draws in fresh air? And so you're not just recirculating the same Yes. Oxygen depleted air inside your home, I think was the point with that. Well, and that's another one of the issues I run into a lot with homes is that they don't have fresh air. The only time a lot of these homes are getting fresh air is when you're opening up the doors and windows, going in and outside of your home. You're good. You open up the windows and you get more fresh air. But some people, especially if you're in a cold climate or a hot climate, Mm -hmm. it's really sealed up. And so we're building up CO2, we're building up moisture, we're building up VOCs and off-gassing. And so we need a system to flush out the air, to bring fresh air. And so it's called an ERV, or you can do an HRV depending on your climate, but it brings fresh air in from the outside, it filters it, and then it pumps it into your house, typically in like the bedrooms, the living room, the office, the nursery. And then it's going to pull stale air out of the laundry room, the kitchen, the bathrooms, and it's going to mix as it goes out. Not the air itself, but the heat. It's going to go through a heat exchanger. So it's, it's bringing the cold air in, it's fresh, it's filtered, and the warm air is leaving and it's warming that air up. So when it comes in, it's not pumping cold air. And if you're in the middle of winter time, so it filters it, fresh air in, stale air out. And it's happening in the background all the time. And it's called an ERV. Wow. And it's one of the best investments you can get for your house. What are, what are we talking for an average sized house? Mm, five grand or so. Okay. But one of the best five grand you can cool. get. Homes I, mean, I test that have those are amazing air quality. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, you mentioned, uh, yeah, I, I got to do that now. <laughs> That's the thing, man. People always warn me about owning a house. Like, oh, it's a money pit, da, da, da. And I always felt like paying rent was a money pit because it's like, you just never get it back. Now I understand though, because anything cool you hear about, it's like about five grand. <laughs> you yeah. know what I, mean? I never spent five grand on anything <laughs> renting for 50 years. You know what I mean? Um, you mentioned VOCs. Now I know um, back in the day when I used to go buy paint at the paint store, I would get no VOC paint and it was kind of mm-hmm. a specialty. Yep. When I recently bought a bunch of paint to paint this house, shout out to Lime Painting of Austin, by the way. Great, great company. One of the few contractors I worked with that were worth a shit. No offense to the others, but for real, it's the truth. Lime painting. When I went and bought the paint here, I was like, oh, it's got to be no VOC. And the guy's like, sir, all of our paint is no VOC now. Do you find that uh, things like paint and, and furniture that's you know, made with chemicals and stuff are a problem with indoor air quality? Yes, absolutely. Especially the wall is the biggest surface we have in our house. So that's really important to make sure that it's non-toxic. And that's kudos for them for only carrying It was no Benjamin VOC. Moore just yep. to give them some love too. Yeah, but there is actually a lot of still really toxic stuff that people put on their walls. Oh, okay. Yeah, especially when going to Mexico and some of these other places where they're not thinking about this stuff. That I find people will call me up sometimes. We just moved in this brand new home. And we all feel like crap. We get headaches in here, a little brain fog. And I'll go in through, and the VOC, the off-gassing, which VOC is volatile organic chemicals. So that's mm-hmm. a chemical that volatilizes in the air easily that we can breathe in. So those are through the roof. It's off-gassing from brand new furniture, new carpet. That new carpet smell that you're smelling is typically formaldehydes, glues, binders, things that our bodies really don't appreciate. So all this stuff building up into this brand new home that's super airtight without any ventilation, of course, they're not feeling good. So then we have to go through the process. So sometimes we have to repaint the home if they haven't used something that's natural. And when you guys do your testing for the air quality, you're picking all that stuff up too. Like yesterday, mm-hmm. you guys were testing for VOCs, right? Yeah, and your VOCs tested great. 
Yeah, you know why? Because I buy used rugs. <laughs> there's lots. <laughs> They're of that. all recycled, you know, Turkish rugs and things like that. I don't yeah. think there's anything. You, oh, you asked about the carpet. There, we put new carpeting in the um, the main. I don't think you can call them a master bedroom anymore, or you're racist. Um, but whatever you call the big bedroom where you sleep, that closet we did put carpeting. And I was like thinking, I thought, no, I actually requested just wool, whatever it's called, Berber carpet or uh-huh. something. It's all wool, no chemicals. Hopefully. So I'm glad to hear that. But you know, it's funny, and I don't know if you've experienced this, as you start to eliminate things like VOCs from your home with cleaning products and crappy furniture that's made with chemicals and such, have you found that you become more chemically sensitive over the years? Because that's been my experience. Like the more I've weeded all that stuff out of my life, now when I'm exposed, it's like really offensive. You know, I've talked about this with people like, are we sensitizing our bodies by living in such a clean environment because you know my home is pretty clean and then when i go into like a hotel or airbnb when i'm out on the road i am a lot more sensitive and i am more aware of it my body doesn't react i think there's a certain level where we want some hermesis and that's we want to expose our body and break down the cells and it's almost like working out at the gym. When we go to the gym we want to work out a muscle group and we let it rest for a little while and we work it out and that builds builds it up same thing with small amounts of poison, a little bit of time, and then we take a break from it. And then we can build up somewhat of a little bit of a tolerance. Sometimes this takes generations to do. Sometimes we can do it sooner. So I think it's good. We don't want to live in a complete bubble all the time because then we are going to desensitize our bodies and we're going to evolve in the wrong way. But you also don't want to be exposed to it all the time. And that's the key is that you need to give your body a break from it. You got to have that resting period. And that's the problem with EMF. I know we're not there yet, but we're always exposed all the time even when we go on a hike, we've got our cell phone with us or the Bluetooth, the headphones. We're never giving ourselves a break. And it's the same thing with the home. 90% of our lives are spent indoors now. And we're not getting outside and getting away from these chemicals. And that's where we're getting the chronic exposure and the illness and the disease and the sickness because we're not getting a break from it. But that is a good point you bring up. We need a little bit of this exposure to be able to evolve. Got it. Okay. So I need to go. Well, sometimes what I do is I just go eat some M&Ms. Sometimes I just do super unhealthy shit. Maybe for that reason, subconsciously, I know like I'm getting too pure here. I got to like get some resilience built in. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I I have really noticed over the years, I'm super sensitive to chemicals. Like there's one shampoo or something Allison uses and it's, it, maybe it's not totally organic or it has some fragrance to it. Mm -hmm. And I could really smell it super strong where your average person probably wouldn't even notice or it would just be a pleasant flowery smell to them, you know? So yeah. And no, but I think that, you know, another thing to that too, is that we start to learn what it feels like to feel good again. Back when I was at my sick, sickest, I was actually 360 pounds. I was very overweight. I was on four different prescriptions, like heartburn, ADHD, anxiety, one other one. But it was crazy. I was sick. I was not healthy. I didn't feel good. I felt Mm -hmm. like crap. And it's completely different now. And so now that I know what it feels like to feel good, that now when I get in an environment that's not healthy, I can feel it. So whether I'm more sensitive or not, I think it's a combination of both. But I think being able to recognize this is not a healthy environment. My body's sending me those signals. Mm-hmm. You set a new baseline. Yeah. Yeah, you set a new baseline for your body. That, that yeah. makes perfect sense. All right, y'all. We thrived right on through 2022, perhaps the weirdest year to date. And after the end of year work obligations and holiday family fun, it's easy to start the new year stressed, worn out, and lacking motivation which is definitely not the way we want to start the new year. So if you're feeling like you need a holiday from the holidays, I have a perfect solution. 
Do yourself a favor and start taking Magnesium Breakthrough every night before you go to bed. I do this daily and I don't plan on stopping ever. Why is that? Well, because stress depletes your magnesium levels and magnesium is critical for getting deep and restorative sleep. And the reason Magnesium Breakthrough is so effective is that it's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium all in each pill. And trust me, when you get all seven critical forms of magnesium, that's when the magic happens. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your sleep to your brain, from stress to pain, and even inflammation. And even better, by making Magnesium Breakthrough part of your daily routine, you're going to wake up fully rested, recharged, and ready to crush all of your New Year's resolutions. So for an exclusive offer for Lifestylist listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke. And in addition to the 10% discount you'll get by using the promo code Luke10, you will unlock a special gift with purchase for a limited time only. So again, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke and get your gift. What do you guys find when you're, you know, looking at chemicals in the air and VOCs and stuff in terms of people's cleaning products and personal care products, you know, shampoos, hairsprays, all this kind of stuff. Do you find that that's as problematic as us health nuts think it is? I mean, is it really that important that you don't use Lysol on your coffee table or something? Absolutely. It is. I had a colleague of mine that a lady called her up and she swore up and down that she had mold. Go through the house, figure it out. He couldn't find any mold anywhere. Uh, left, reports came back clean. And she said, please come back. I'm getting sicker. I'm getting sicker. Come back. So he came back looking through, finally went into the downstairs basement into the storage room and saw this whole case of Lysol, a couple cases, a whole bunch. And he asked, you know, what's this for? What are you doing with all the Lysol? He says, well, I go through the house twice a day and spray a couple cans of Lysol to kill the mold off. And she had been doing this for like the last six months because she had got on some website somewhere, some podcast, something that scared the crap about mold. So she went out and bought a bunch of Lysol and started dousing her house, basically fogging her own home while she was in it. And poisoning her and her husband this whole time. Oh my so God. She got rid of the Lysol, aired out her house, and her symptoms started to get better. But these are poisons, absolutely. These are toxins for the body. And so it's really important to look at what chemicals we put on our body, what chemicals we put in our home, what are we putting on our clothes. Uh, fragrances are really bad. Now, a lot of the clients that I work with are pretty aware, you know, more of the biohacker, health minded type people. I don't see a lot of the toxic chemicals, but there I still I'll go into some of these homes that they're kind of new to this, and I see the Glade plugins everywhere, and I oh, see the four hundred nine. I see the Glade plugins, oh. bro. <laughs> and so I actually so had gnarly. I don't know if you saw in our on our client our house prep instructions that if you have any of that stuff, please put it in a plastic bag. Just because I got sick of going into these homes and yeah. just headaches. And, oh my god, yeah. that's one thing that's always been so darkly ironic to me is those those plugins that just smell absolutely disgusting. And then also like I'm doing quotes here on the video, air fresheners. Like when you get in an Uber, I used to have a joke with the buddy of mine. We're like getting a, we used to go to New York and you get in a cab well, it was before Ubers, but you get in a cab and they'd have the black ice, mm-hmm. the black ice air freshener was the worst. We text each other, bro, black ice just landed wrong cab, you know, <laughs> but that, that poor guy is like sitting there for 12 yeah. hours a day, breathing that thing in. But again, it's that like becoming desensitized to it. He's probably, you know, 
inadvertently transitioning to uh, the other gender just from the endocrine disruptors in his freaking face all day. You know what I mean? You're absolutely just, more right than you think you are. Yeah, that's I mean, where I'm it actually exaggerating, hits you, though, but, is in your dis- it's a hormone disruptor, yeah. a lot of those phthalates. That's where it starts to hit you. So people, I think, in America need to feel like they have a certain smell to be clean. I think we were raised, you know, tied and downy sheets and it smells like spice and around Christmas time we need to have these smells but we, we need to learn to get away from that and actually clean doesn't have a smell the home should be neutral when you walk into a home you shouldn't have a smell if you're smelling something there's something off it's, it's either a chemical or it's a mold or it's not clean or there's a gas leak you shouldn't have any smell in a home it should be neutral and that's where we need to train our brains that neutral no smell is the clean smell Okay, I like that. Yeah, it's not sea breeze or whatever. Right. <laughs> like the, the yeah. uh, those things you put in the dryer, you know, the dryer mm-hmm. sheets. Oh, God. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be walking down the street and I'll smell a neighbor's dryer exhaust oh, yeah. from using those things. And it's, I'm not anywhere near the house. It's like permeating the whole neighborhood. Yeah. That, it's, that's it's gnarly. The fresh mountain air Glade plugins, that's not fresh mountain air that they went up there and bottled. That's a chemical. That's a toxic right. chemical that's messing with you. Got it. Okay, so... Obviously, one point would be just get anything out of your house. Just take one for the team, make a decision, get all that crap out. But what about air purification and filtration? Even if, you know, this house, everything's all good, but still, I want to be cleaning the air. Um, So, you know, I had my air doctor in the bedroom and the Austin air in the living room. Then you brought me this super badass, like commercial industrial grade, which I want to learn more about. Yeah, the Jasper air. And thank you, by the way, for that. But what can we do to just maintain clean air even once we've got all this crap out of the house? Yeah, you know, and that you've really nailed it with get everything out first. That's the first line of defense. Let's get back down to a point where we don't have any sources because it's much easier to clean the air if there's not a whole lot in there to clean. And so EWG is a really good website that you can go on and you can actually scan the barcode of, of a shampoo or cleaning supply. Also, Think Dirty is an app. Oh, yeah. I used it's to use that. It's a really that. good one. Yeah. So go through your house. So download those apps. You know, again, we're going to have a little chore list for yeah. listeners and when we'll put done. it in the show notes at loopstory.com slash test my home. We'll link to all this stuff. Yeah. After the show, go download the app and go through all of your personal care products, all of your cleaning supplies and scan the barcode. It's going to be a scale from 1 to 10. So 10 is going to be... This stuff is probably going to kill you. And one being, you can feed it to your baby. You know, at right. least our house, we're like a three and a less. Maybe you can right. choose whatever comfort level you're Start with a five and a less. And this, everything that's five and higher, just put it in a bag, bite the bullet, and get rid of it. And whatever you need, then go, let's shop and get some healthier stuff, healthier alternatives. But it's amazing how little we really need, especially in the cleaning department. Hypochlorous acid or some ozone cleaner or... Vinegar and water with a little lemon peel in it will clean 90% of what you need in your house. Wow. You really don't need a That's lot of funny, stuff. That's funny because I, I see those kind of like folk recipes for cleaning supplies and stuff like you just described. Even I'm kind of like, wow, does that really do anything? <laughs> you know? But you mentioned the ozone. That co- I showed you the ozone bottle. I think the company's called, uh, God, O3 Waterworks. We'll yep. link to it in the show notes. Dude, they sent me this, this spray bottle that's an ozone generator like no more Windex, like none of that. Mm-hmm. Whatever you clean counters with, like you literally just have water. You turn it on, it makes ozone. Mm-hmm. And then they next, they really nailed it with the um, the ozone washing machine thing. Mm-hmm. I got one of those. Yes. No more laundry soap ever. Mm-hmm. You know, just even if you use natural laundry soap, it just costs a bunch of money. You're you're doing single use plastic. 
It gets everywhere. Lint sticks on. It's all nasty. This ozone. Oh my God, dude. Mm-hmm. It's really funny when you turn it on, you see like starts up. You see the ozone getting fired in there and your laundry is perfectly clean, smells neutral. And they say it makes your um, clothes last longer. So I'm like, yes, more innovations like this. To your point of just sometimes simplicity is really all you need. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that, you know, at its face, it looks like too simple to work. Yep. What about the, uh, what about ovens and stoves? Ovens and stoves, as far as the ventilation goes, I'm assuming that's what you're talking mm-hmm, about. Because mm-hmm. with you, we found that you had the fan on low. You're cooking a turkey during the day. So I set the meter next to it. Just, just to like I do see. all the time. No yep. big deal. Cooking a turkey for a random lunch. First time literally ever in my life. <laughs> or Allison's life. <laughs> we noticed that the carbon monoxide levels were starting to rise. So the fan wasn't able to keep up with the output of the gas that's burning. But it's also not just the carbon monoxide. So anytime we're burning any kind of fossil fuel, petroleum, uh, diesel, gasoline, natural gas, we're going to have off-gassing coming off of it, but we're also going to be burning off uh, contaminants that are in the gas. So when they mine this gas out of the ground and they, they process it and turn it into, let's say, propane, they're not filtering it. So with the propane comes a whole range of lead, arsenic, heavy metals, VOC, radon, and these get released into the air as soon as we burn them. So now we have these toxic chemicals and heavy metals floating through the air. We're breathing them in along with the carbon monoxide. And it's a big burden on the body. We're accumulating those in our body. This was so eye-opening for me. I literally had no idea that once you ignite a gas like propane, that there's anything other than just inert air there. I had no idea. I know like if I'm smelling gas, I'm like, whoa, whoa, get some (laughs) ventilation. But I'm like, I figured once it was burned, it's just gone. Yep. So that was huge for me. I'm going to keep that damn fan on all the time. Yeah. That's a really good takeaway for people. I'm sure when many people cook, like me, they thought the fan, I assume the fan was just so, for the smell of the food and like the smoke. That's what most people think. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. So that's that's a really good takeaway for people. Yeah, most important thing. If you're cooking with gas, always have that fan on. And make sure that it's actually pulling air out too. Right. And, and make so sure you could test it. that with a piece of incense or something that yep, you see it getting sucked up in there. Candle or put a paper towel over it and make sure it's sucking it up. In oh, there. okay. Yep. What do you think about the soot from candles? If it's a petroleum-based candle, not good. Okay. We want beeswax candles. Okay. Yeah, but they will put particulates in the air, but they're not as harmful. Okay, cool. What about incense? Uh, I've seen people overdo it with incense. It can potentially be a lung irritant, especially if there's fragrance in the incense. We've got to look at where's the, the smell coming from? Where's the fragrance coming Is it a chemical or is it an essential oil? And typically it'll say it on the incense. Right. So yep. if you're burning like a pure copal resin or something like that, probably yep. less harmful. You're just getting kind of, what, an ash particulate or something? Yeah, you're just getting a little particulate coming from okay. it. Okay, okay, cool. Or inorganic matter, yeah. So I love me some incense. <laughs> yeah. like, don't tell me that kills you too. <laughs> Can I have any fun? All right, well, I think as far as the air stuff goes, what could people do? You know, mold is kind of one issue, right? And you have a mold testing company and then a remediation company. We're going to keep those separate to be smart about it. Are there also companies other than you that'll come out and just test the air quality in general apart from the mold? Typically, you have you can get water test kits off of our site. Yeah. You can, there's mold test kits you can order or mold investigators that will come out. And there's a whole range of people. Air quality, there's air quality companies that will come out specifically just for air. But a lot of times, you can get a lot of information 
off a website called Breezometer. It's online and it tells you the air quality of what's going on outside your house. Okay. If you have fire smoke or if you have pollution in your area, it'll tell you that. Because a lot of our indoor air, well, all of our indoor air is made up of outdoor air. That's where it comes from. We pull it from the outdoor and we breathe it in. People like to typically think the outside air is a lot worse than inside. It's actually opposite. <laughs> the air inside of our house is worse than outside because we're bringing that air in and what are we doing? We're adding to it. Right. Okay, so we're off gas chemicals, oh, dead skins, insect parts, smoke, pollen, dust, a whole range of things get added to the air. Wow, dude. That's why we need okay. to filter it back out. So, you know, talking about some of the solution side of it, the ERV to get in the fresh air in, and then a really good filtration system like a Jasper, which is a really good commercial grade. Oh, unit. yeah. Tell us about that. I kind of touched on that, but yeah. Yeah. I didn't get the download. You just brought it in and you're like, here's a gift. I'm like, yay, I love being a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, you know, I want you to have the latest and greatest and all the best stuff. And, Thanks, you know, I test a lot of these filters and some of them do a little good, some of them don't. But uh, this one's more of a commercial grade one. The guy that designed it used to do fire restoration and flood and he wanted something that he could put in the, his clients' homes that would actually really clean the air. He was coming from an air scrubber standpoint, but those things are really noisy and they're really ugly. So he designed one that was much more quiet and actually looked really nice so that people could put them in their home. Mostly started out selling to doctors and dentists and more in the commercial space. But, you know, I came across them and said, these are, these are great for residential. You know, the, so this is what we need to have in people's home that's really going to move air and really filter out the air and pull I love those particles it. out. I love it based on the demo. It kind of, for those listening that are familiar with the molecule, kind of looks like that, like a cylinder, but it's white and it's considerably bigger than a molecule, but yep. it's hella quiet. Yep. And I like that when you turned it on, it gave us an accurate reading of the air quality in the house and then mm -hmm. it automatically chose the level of intensity or suction based on input and output, I guess, based on the particulate found in the air. Yeah, because if, cool. if it's a nice clear day and you're... There's not, not much particulates in your home. No reason to be blasting that full blast. But let's say you have a bunch of people over, you're cooking, and we want that thing cooking good, you know, cranking up some good air. Cool. It'll do it automatically for cool. you. Cool. Awesome. And we'll link, we'll link to that thing in the show notes too because I know I'll forget to talk about it later probably. Okay, cool. Um, in, in terms of the other uh, air cleaning methods out there, what do you think about running an ozone generator in the house when you're not home every once in a while and then opening up all the doors and windows for a half an hour before you come back in and actually do your thing in there. Do you think that's a viable way to just kind of reset the bacterial load in the air or, you know, fleas, dust or whatever that's, that's lingering around? I feel like ozone is such a good <clears throat> disinfectant. Obviously, you don't want to breathe it, but is it useful in a scenario like that? That's a really good question. That, again, is a more of a deep question. I'll try to answer it the best I can quickly without going too deep. Okay. Ozone is an oxidizer. But what that means is it takes the extra oxygen molecule and it goes into the new molecule of something it's interacting with. So let's take bacteria, for example. That extra oxygen molecule will denature the cell wall and basically kill off that bacteria. Now, the bacteria will still be there, but it's no longer going to be alive. It's no longer going to be active. It does the same thing with viruses. It does the same thing with mold. It can interact with chemicals. The problem with ozone and some chemicals is that depending on what chemical it is, it could have an unintended consequence of the reaction that it makes because it doesn't just make things disappear, poof, like magic. There's a physical chemical interaction that happens and sometimes it can change it from a chemical into something that's also harmful as well. The other problem with ozone is that it will break down textiles, like the electronics, it's kind of hard on some of those 
uh, yeah. objects as well. But I'm, it does a really good job of neutralizing and breaking down microbiology. I, I've noticed that uh, I used to run mine in my office when I wasn't in there. And I noticed over time, it would like turn my electronics yellow and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? I guess it was like oxidizing them essentially. Like, why is everything cracking and falling apart? And I think it yep. was the ozone. It is the ozone. It's like if you leave something out in the sun, that UV ray, it's oxidizing it. Okay, right, right. But do, yep. do you think there is some utility value in periodically just flushing out the house with ozone for an hour or two and then emptying it all out? Or would you be better off just opening the doors and windows for a while? It's, it's important to test and kind of see where you're at because there okay. is good bacteria. Just like our gut biome, there's mm-hmm. good bacteria in there. And we don't want to just take, that would say like, let's take antibiotics every once in a while just to clear out our system. It's oh, probably okay. not a good idea because we have good with the bad. And it's all working together as kind of an ecosystem. Okay. So it's if you're starting to get sick or you're, or you're, you know, I think it's good just to do a yearly checkup on your home anyway, just like you would go into the doctor and do a checkup on your body. Mm-hmm. And in that checkup, we're going to look at and we're going to analyze what's the bacteria load, what's the actinomyces load, and what's the mold load. And if we start to see that these things are elevated, then we can come in with more of a treatment protocol. Now, Got there it. is other chemicals. There's also a company we work with called Superstratum, which has a chlorine dioxide gas that you can spray in there and it gas fogs everything. It does the same thing as ozone, but it's not harmful to the electronics and the plastics and the textiles. Oh, interesting. But that's something where it's got to be really planned and intentional Uh where we're taking pets, plants, and people out of the environment for 24 hours. We're coming in, we're sealing up vents, we're fogging, gassing the heck out of it, and we're basically starting over with a clean slate. So the only time we want to do that really is if there's a problem. Got it. Would that be applicable in a mold infestation scenario or it, just in other, you know, VOCs and things like that? It's one step of the bigger process. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that's another another thing I wanted to actually touch on was well, one idea that I had at one point when I thought I might have had mold up in the HVAC is I thought I'll just put my ozone generator up there and just run it for a day just in the attic. Would that potentially piss off the mold rather than getting rid of it, for example? You might piss off the mold at the beginning. It's Mold is pretty smart. It's kind of amazing how smart mold can be. It knows when it's starting to get under attack and it will release more mycotoxins and mold spores as a last-ditch last effort. So we always recommend coming in and doing the physical removal first. So if we can HEPAVAC, if we can wipe down or if it's on drywall, we can cut it out. If you've got moldy carpet, let's remove. Always step one is let's remove the source, whether it's mold, whether it's a chemical, whether it's poor air quality, something putting in poor air quality, even if it's EMF, let's always remove the source first and then let's come in and let's clean up the contaminants. Got it. Left okay. Over. okay, cool. I know what I was going to ask you. I've heard it said, and I don't know if this is a, um, <clears throat> you know, a conspiracy theory in the health world, but I've heard it said by from some pretty smart people that mold tends to proliferate more rapidly and severely in a high EMF environment because of what you just mentioned, that it has an innate ability to detect outside threats and it will perceive the chaos of those RF fields, for example, in its environment and start to reproduce faster, better, bigger. Do you think there's any truth to that? A lot of that comes from a study that Dr. Klinghart did where he did some experiments with different types of mold in a Faraday cage with, I believe it was a Wi-Fi router and one that wasn't. And he was able to detect the mycotoxin output from the one that was in the Wi-Fi cage was 600 times more. 600, 600 times. times more. Okay. So uh, there's, some, the other there's some legitimacy to this as, at some level. As far as I know, that's the only study that's been done that really kind of quantified that okay. part of it. I think, and I've talked with some other, it'd be interesting to try to replicate that. 
because, you know, there's a lot of debate when it's just one study and there's, you know, is it legitimate? What were the other things? But I tend to see that people that have higher RF levels in their house also seem to have more toxic homes because of mold and more endotoxins. Like okay. the mold can sense that there's something else going on in the environment that's not natural and it's just automatically kind of putting off its defense mechanisms. Wow. Yeah. God. Nature is so savage. Fight, it's fighting back, man. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't yeah. it? Even like <laughs> such a, um, a, you know, like a unevolved organism like that can still be so evolved in, in the ways in which yeah. it tries to remain on Earth, you know? Absolutely. Um, let's talk, you know, I've done, God, I've probably done more shows on water than I have EMF. <laughs> but just in terms of giving people a strategy and some resources and how to deal with their water, I think by now anyone listening to this podcast knows that I, you're 99% water on a molecular basis. So I think it's really important that we're mindful about the water we drink, mm -hmm. cook, feed our pets, plants, um, bathe in, all that, right? So we know it's super important. Now, we didn't do anything with the water here because I got a test off your website, sent it in, and I got the lab report of that. And as I guess, the water <laughs> where I live in Texas is total garbage. Um, so I drink my spring water and then we have this aqua tree where we filter the water for cooking and, and drinking sometimes and giving it to the pets. So I have like a temporary um, kind of point of use system here. So we didn't test my water, but if you had come into this house cold, how would you have dealt with um, the whole water issue? Yeah, test. I mean, all the way around the board. And that's something you don't really need have me come in to do. Like you ordered it right off our website, came to you, you filled up the vial, sent it in. That's really the only way. We just got to test because... People always call it, but what filter should I use? What should I do with my... Well, you need to test because there's lots of different filters for lots of different contaminants. In some cases, it's not very bad and you don't really need much filtration. I remember one I did where this lady was filtering it. Then she would put it in these glass jars and she would set it out to air out. And she had this whole process that she went through. And we ended up testing her water and her water actually was fine. She didn't need to do any of that. <laughs> really? Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I have been to um, a few mountain towns in my life that just subsist on natural spring water and it's not treated or, in, or touched in any way by humans. And it just comes right in like there's a town in, uh, in it might even be the town of Shasta, if not the town next door. You just turn on the tap and it's like the most pristine, beautiful spring water ever. But you might not know that. And like you're, you put in an RO system and your water's fine. So, yeah. so testing... And anyone like me can just go on your site and get this test. Since different people are going to have different needs in terms of their strategy with filtration and purification mm -hmm. and all that, if someone then gets certain test results, how are they going to determine which filtration system is appropriate for them? You know, that's something we're working on, more of a solution base to where you can come to us and we're going to have exactly what you need. But what I recommend now is finding a good water filtration company in your area and you can take the test to them and I say a good one, one that knows what they're doing. You can show them the test. These are the contaminants we have in. Design me a system that's going to that's gonna deal with these. Oh, really? Yep. And that's really the best way to go. You know, there's a couple companies we talked about. There's some high-end stuff that definitely is pretty cool. There's some more mid-range stuff. But one people need to re realize is that we can absorb just as much of these minerals by taking a 15 to 20-minute hot shower or soaking in the bath as we do from drinking it throughout the day. Because our skin is pretty porous, uh, that water, those minerals are going to soak into our body through our skin. Are you talking about toxins or minerals? Toxins and minerals. Oh, okay. Yeah, anything, any, I should say contaminants is a better right. word. So anything in the water that we don't want in our body mm -hmm. can enter through the skin. 
but it can also enter when we're taking a nice hot shower and it's getting nice and steamy and we're breathing that stuff in. So people think, oh, I just got an RO system under my sink. I'm good. We need to think about what you're bathing in as well. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget I mean, about that. I've used the shower filters for years. There's a, a few that I like. There, People know, those that know, they're on my website. And we have one here because we don't have a whole house filter yet. And then you have like these little bath balls. If you want to take a bath, you kind of hang it over the spout. It's like it's like two inches of filter material. Probably better than not doing it, but I've always had a sense that the amount of bathing that we humans tend to do is very problematic in the water for the reasons you just described. So yeah. I always recommend go whole house, not just point of use. Now that yes. financially, this can get really challenging for people. And I I, you know, I get it. It's the same for me. I want a system right now from Ophora. I think it's the best company I've mm-hmm. found. But it's, you know, many thousands of dollars. A lot. Like, yeah. You could buy a used car or their system, you know. <laughs> God bless them. But I, I mean, I think it's worth it. You know, all the years I've been into this, I went to their factory in Santa Barbara. It's, I don't know, it's very, very impressive to say the least. But, you know, not everyone has that or even if they did, would they spend it? You mentioned this company you like yesterday, Radiant Life. Mm-hmm. What's been your experience of their uh, their systems and, you know, how do they work? Yeah, they do a pretty good job of, of reducing the contaminants. You know, it all it's kind of like air filters. We're basically moving the water, the air through a filter. The contaminants are getting caught and the good stuff's coming out the other side. That's really what a lot of this stuff is. And it's just different combinations of media. Sometimes it's charcoal. Sometimes it's paper. Sometimes it's twine or some fabric you know whatever that is we're catching these particles and the good stuff is coming through so it's just all different combinations of them but um, radiant life makes a really good one there's you know we use kinetico at our house it's a really good one as well there's a lot of different good ones and do you think that what you described earlier wherein someone could find a good local water treatment company give them their test results and have them build a custom system do you think that companies like you just mentioned would be willing and able to do that as well rather than just buying something off the shelf that might not match the particulars of your water chemistry? Yeah, the best is really just find the specialist in your area okay. that, that does water filtration. Like, that's their gig. Okay. Uh, you know, and then you take your test to them and say, this is what I have in my water. Design, you know, set me up with what you got. And usually it's maybe four or five different combinations of different filters that they're going to put in for you. And maybe this specific one is for VOCs and this specific one is going to get lead. And this one's going to get arsenic out of your water you know so different filters for different contaminants okay cool that's a great suggestion i didn't even know that was a possibility and it's yeah. a question i get a lot so that's that's good to know maybe that's what i should do because i've been hemming and hawing about like ah, i can't afford the one i want and so i don't do anything you know maybe yeah. that that would be good since i already have your test last thing on water what about um like water softeners and hard water and all this stuff why why is that um part of the conversation or is it Two things. One, preference. Some people prefer soft water. It feels better on their skin when they're washing. It feels softer when they're using it. That's why they call it soft water. Others, the other reason is it's a lot, soft water is a lot easier on your pipes. You don't get that corrosive, that buildup. So people that have really hard water, they're going to see the, like the calcium ring in the toilet and the calcium ring around the sink and their shower. When it starts spraying funny, you got calcium buildup. That's from hard water deposits. So uh, okay. it's two part. It's the the preference and also to protect your equipment. Okay, cool. Do you think if you built a system of water filtration in the home and you put your water softener, provided you have hard water like we do very much so here in Texas, you would want, I I assume, to strip the minerals out of that water and make the water soft and then run it through your filtration system to preserve the life of the filter medium? 
Correct. Yep. Exactly. So okay. yeah, we have yeah, we have water softener and then it goes through our filters and then it goes through the rest of our house. Cool, cool. Right. Okay. Yep. Let's get into lighting. Now, you guys, again, kind of like with the water, when I asked you yesterday, I was like, what's up with my lighting? You're like, dude, you already did everything right. <laughs> I don't need to test it. But for people that are you know, unfamiliar, let's talk about light temperature and then flicker. Maybe, you know, best to worst in terms of what you find out there and how you deal with it. Sure. You know, so going back to ancestral, we've evolved on this planet underneath the sun. And then when the sun goes down up until 100 years ago, it was candlelight. It was firelight. It was that warm red, sometimes into the orange spectrum and really dim. Let's say in the middle of the day with the sun, it's full spectrum light. We're getting the blues, the red, the ultraviolet, everything. But it's not flickering. It's consistent. It's a consistent glow. Now, where we get into trouble with the home now is a lot of our energy efficient lighting is flickering. And it does that to save energy. So it's on 20% of the time, then it's off 80, on 20. And this vibration, our eyes, it looks like it's consistent, but it's really vibrating and it's called flicker rate. And our brain doesn't like that. And in fact, some people that can induce seizures in and headaches. Some people, when they start getting sick, that's one thing they know. It's like, I'm not, I don't like the bright lights in the room. A lot of times it's the flicker rate that's really been causing that effect. So you know, we talk about the color. We want to mimic the color of the sun. So it's in, when it's in the middle of the day, we want the full spectrum lighting. That's fine. That's triggering our body to suppress melatonin and to be awake and be energetic. When the sun starts to go down and we see that red hues and the sunset and then eventually down into dark and then ancestrally when we had just campfires and lights, then we want to try to mimic that. So once the sun goes down, you don't want to have these blue lights going. And even like an hour before sunset, you want to make sure that those bright lights are off. We're starting to get ready for nighttime. Uh, if you have kids, very, very helpful. They'll go to sleep a lot faster. Have you noticed that as a parent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. do that at our house. So we have two different sets of lights. We have what's called our utility lights. So if we're doing dishes or cooking, <clears throat> when that's done, we turn, and that's typically our can lights. And then we turn those off after dinner time. And then it's just more of the yellow, the orange, like what you have, the, those um, more vintage style lights. Yeah. Really warm. The, Ed- the Edison The Edison bulbs, bulbs yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's in and a lot and not just in color temperature and not just flick rate, but also intensity as well. A lot lower glow. We don't want those full. I mean, you can have big, bright red lights and if they're really powerful. That's also kind of messing with the circadian rhythm. So we mm-hmm. want the intensity to be less also. Got that. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I've at various times like turned, had my juve wall panel thing like in the living room, whatever, and go, oh, you know, I'll turn on the juve and have red light, but it's so, it's so intense. Yeah. It freaks most people out. And I think it's, it does like kind of energize you. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little too stimulating. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. The bulbs that I found, by the way, and you, I don't know if you're hip to these, uh, it's a company called a Bond Charge. They used to be called Blue Blocks, and they make these little red LED bulbs that don't flicker and they're solid red like the best ever. They're super cool for travel. And that's, that's what I have in some of the rooms here. But it, it is a bit of work to kind of strategize like your day setup and your night setup, mm-hmm. which is essentially what, what you described. I mean, you definitely right. have to put a little thought into it. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend and, and find out in your testing experience in terms of, you know, those curly CFL bulbs and fluorescent tubes and LED lighting? Like what's the nasty stuff people should, you know, look into starting to move away from? So when it comes to the CFL bulbs, and if you're not familiar, they're the ones that look like little ice cream cones, the curly cues, and the fluorescents, the long old school fluorescent tubes, they both have vapor mercury in them. And that's where we get into the really toxic side of lighting. Because if those were to crack or break or fail, 
or I don't know how many kids back in the day playing sword fights with the fluorescent tubes and broke them. Well, you just released a bunch of vapor mercury. You breathe that in, that's a heavy metal. That's really hard to get out of your body. And that causes a lot of issues. And so I always just don't even bring that stuff into the house. If it's toxic, if it's going to harm your body, don't even mess with it. Don't even bring it in the house. Stick to more of the incandescent. The halogens are good. And there are some LEDs that are actually not too harmful for you that have consistent glow. They have steady drivers. They don't put off dirty electricity. And dirty electricity, that's another one that these CFL bulbs and the fluorescence, these big ballasts, also put off dirty electricity onto the line, which is line interference. And what else did we learn about your fluorescence? They the were garage. They were there in the garage under Allison's office in there, and you were picking up a massive magnetic field from her floor. Yep, of her office from the fluorescent lights that were mounted to the ceiling in the garage under her. Yep. So a lot of laundry rooms and and garages have the fluorescent lights. It's a cheaper fixture, and so if you are on a second level and you have a bedroom or a nursery or a game room, be aware of what's on the floor underneath you. If you have these fluorescent lights on the ballast. Because they have to step up the voltage to shoot that high frequency, high voltage through the light, through the vapor mercury to energize that light. The whole setup's just bad. Yeah, I'm with Toxic. you. Get them all yeah. out of the house. Like you yeah. have the wiring there. You could have an mm-hmm. electrician put any kind of fixture. Yep. What about, uh, well, you did say that there are some LED lights that don't flicker. How, how to, Aside from the ones I mentioned that are the good nighttime red bulbs, uh, they're called Lumi Sleep, I think. How do people determine like how does one find led lights that are a moderate kind of you know mid-warm temperature that don't flicker like how do you even search for that or find it are there certain brands you like or yeah um you know cree brand lighting works really good they're one of the more original leds are a little more expensive those seem to have no flicker rate and they're a little bit cleaner as far as emi interference phillips makes a pretty good brand brian hoyer he puts out a lighting guide actually, that I share with my clients as well. Man, I don't want to promise this, but he sent that to me. I'm going to set the intention to put the lighting guide in the show notes. Yeah, that's really really cool Because he even points out, like, if you're stuck with certain fixtures, he gave solutions. Like, if you have to put a tube light in there, here's the best one and stuff like that. Yeah, so he took the time. It's really cool. He made it really user-friendly, and I share that with my clients as well. And so, Awesome. We all know the phrase, let there be light, right? Well, I agree. Light can be a potent life-supporting energy. Not to mention, it allows us the convenience of turning nighttime into daytime on demand. But unfortunately, light can also suck in terms of the negative effects on our health. For example, most indoor lighting flickers, which can be an issue for our neurological system. Now, you can't see this flicker with the naked eye, but if you shoot a short slow-mo video of your light fixtures or bulbs on your phone, You can see how bad the flicker rate is with many light sources. Try it right now, and you'll likely be shocked by what you see. Plus, modern lighting commonly emits a spike in blue light, which can disrupt sleep quality. And lastly, some bulbs also emit tons of toxic EMF, which is, of course, no bueno. So that's the bad news, womp womp. But the good news is that I found the perfect solution to all of these issues. It's the blue light blocking lighting collection from Bond Charge. Their bulbs remove the blue and even green spectrum and provide balanced light for better eye health and sleep. And they also happen to be flicker-free and very low EMF. Plus, they now offer full-spectrum bulbs with three settings that you can manually change from day to night so you can mimic visible sunlight and regulate your circadian rhythm, all with zero Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. 
So Bond Charge is just killing the game in blue light blocking lighting, reading lights, lamps, and even night lights. To get your lighting in order, here's what you do. Go to bondcharge.com slash lifestylist and use the coupon code lifestylist to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com slash lifestylist. What's your perspective on, let's say you're building a house or remodeling a house. What's your perspective on overhead lighting, like those can lights, recess lighting versus lamps and sconces that are more um, directionally eye level or horizontal? You know, and this kind of goes back to the days when we were designing the nightclubs and the, the lounges and stuff. And then really our eyes don't like direct bulbs, direct light. If you can see the light bulb, it's not good. We want more of the reflection and it looks better aesthetically. It's more pleasing that way. But, you know, as far as from the health standpoint, it really has to do with the flicker rate, the color, the intensity, but more like architectural wise, we don't want to see the direct light. So the can lights coming down, that's, we use those more for the utility lighting. And then we use more of the sconces and the lamps as more of our mood lighting. So it's more intentional. So if we're cleaning the house, whatever the utility lights are on. If we're all hanging around, party or relaxing, getting ready for bed, we have the mood lighting on. And it's set that way. It's a lot dimmer. It's more of the red and, and the yellows and the oranges. Awesome. I love it. Yep. Agreed 100%. Uh, one guy that I interviewed who's a, a lighting genius, I'm not overstating that, Dr. Alexander Wunsch, uh, who's I think a German guy. He was telling me something about how, going back to the, you know, just biology and ancestral living, that you never want to use overhead lighting because there's only a short fraction of the day in which the light is directly overhead. It's totally unnatural. And if you think about where the sun is, you know, mm -hmm. for the vast majority of any day where you can see the sun, it's kind of like out there somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's not right over your head. It's only over your head right at solar noon or something, right? Yeah. So he went into this whole tirade on that point. I was like, holy shit, I never thought about that. And that's why the overhead lights... I find them really annoying. Yeah. Like I hardly ever turn these on in the house. It was just built that way and I'm kind of stuck with them. Yeah. Yeah. We tend to do more of the lamps and the wall sconces in the evening and then just overhead during the day or whatever if you need extra yeah. lighting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Love it. Uh, what about, this is really going to bum a lot of people out. Speaking <laughs> of creating mood lighting, tell us about dimmer switches. Mm. I know. Dimmer switches put off what's called line interference or dirty electricity and Something with the inductor and the phase alignment of it, it really causes a lot of line interference. And that line interference goes back through the wiring and can radiate into the room just like an antenna. So, you know, we did the readings on your dirty electricity and we can see the spikes and we can see the normal curvature of the AC line traveling through the, the wires. But when we get these spikes, they can travel much further out into the room. They can also be a lot more biologically damaging to the body. And so we want to try to minimize that dirty electricity as much as possible. And unfortunately, dimmers create a lot of line interference. Has anyone made a dimmer that doesn't do that yet? As far as I'm aware of, not really a good one. I think it's better just to have two different sets of lights. Right, right. Yeah, you got your okay. mood light and your utility light, and then you don't have to worry as much. Right. Yeah. Okay, we're going to sell a lot of lamps on this show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really the answer, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to carve up your walls and put sconces everywhere. And like, I was lucky when we remodeled here, all the bedrooms, even though they're can lights, I installed an extra switch. 
Mm-hmm. So there's like a bright white daytime set and a red set for night. So yeah. in all the bedrooms, you have two light switches and that was yeah. useful. But it cost me a lot of extra money to have those, you know, the little can lights put in and the electricity and all that. I'm like, dude, I think the easy fix for people is like, just go get some cool lamps and yes. strategically place them around your spot. So at least at night, you can have appropriate calming, you know, more natural lighting. Yeah, and have fun with it, you know, make it more artistic and set the mood, set the intention for the room. Yep, okay, cool. All right, now on to the one, we'll get this done in probably five minutes, EMF. (laughs) I saved the big one for last, but, you know, luckily to our credit, I have done a lot of content on this topic, so people will will know a lot. But you you turned me on to some interesting ideas yesterday that I was not familiar with, and I study up a lot on this. Let's start out with demystifying uh, 5G. And so a couple parts to that, if you can track me, if not, I think I can repeat it. But the first issue being there's two types of 5G networks out there, right? So Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that. Then I was asking you about whether my phone is set to pick up 5G or if I just leave it on LTE because I have that option in the settings and your answer was interesting and useful. And then thirdly, We need to explain to people, I think, the difference between the 5G cellular networks and the 2.4 or the 5G on your router, which is a totally different thing. So let's start with, I guess, the the different networks of cell towers and cell service. Yeah, so the the networks, different AT&T and Verizon, they all own frequency bandwidths. You know, they've owned those from the beginning. There's only so many frequency bandwidths available. The government owns a huge chunk. Cell companies own a huge chunk. A whole different range of people own different frequencies. So when 1G came out, they still was the, the same frequencies as 1G and 2G and 3G. They, they just made it more compact as far as the signal goes and able to send more data. It's kind of like we got the freeway and the freeway has the speed limit. We have the older cars. Then you got the newer cars. The newer, and they can go faster and they can haul more people. When we got up into 5G... And this is where 5G made it a little bit different than the rest of them, is that they were starting to run out of frequency bandwidths. So they purchased a group of frequencies from the government up in the two or the 24 gigahertz range, around that range. And it's a lot of smaller frequency. It's a lot higher frequency, which makes it a smaller bandwidth frequency. And it can carry more data on it because it has more frequencies per, free, for, per second. But the problem is, is that it doesn't penetrate as easily as the lower bandwidth frequencies. So homes, trees, even heavy, thick leather jacket can block a lot of this higher bandwidth stuff. And in fact, it's the same frequency. If you walk into a supermarket and the, the motion detector shoots down at you, tells to open up the door, that's in the same similar frequency range as the, as the 5G. Oh, no way. Same thing with uh, radar detectors. And radar for police. So the KA band, when they're shooting their radar gun at you, that's really similar frequency. And the reason is because it will bounce back. It doesn't penetrate. So there's a little misconception. And one of the misconceptions is, well, this is all military weaponry stuff. And yes, it came from the government. And yes, they can weaponize this at high enough levels. Anything at high enough level can be lethal, very harmful. But they still have to go within the guidelines of the FCC, which they can't go over 10 million microwatts per meter squared because they know past that level that we're essentially cooking from the inside out. It's heating up the body. They can measure thermal effects. And so that's where they set these speed limits, so to speak. So all these devices out there have to stay within that, that limit. Okay? 
Now, where 5G starts to become a little bit more dangerous is because now that we can't have one big tower up on the hill that's broadcasting to everybody because it doesn't go through the trees, it doesn't go through the walls very easily, now we have to have them on every other light post going up and down the street. So it's a lot more localized, it's a lot more condensed, and we can't really get out of the signal, so to speak. Now, you asked if I change on my phone the settings so that I no longer can receive 5G, I'm only communicating with 4G, does that lower my exposure? The answer is no, because we're always getting blasted from this stuff. It's like if we're in the shower, we're getting wet. Whether I open my mouth to take a drink or not, I'm still getting rained on from these signals. Okay, so making, because I I posted a story uh, at one point on Instagram. You guys can follow me there, at Luke's story, by the way. No, seriously, do it. I made a video of like how to turn off the 5G on your phone and I was so excited to share it and now it's yeah. meaningless. Because, I mean, I thought kind of like, well, does it really matter if my phone's talking to a 5G tower? Because like what you said, I'm still in it. But I thought, I don't know, maybe my phone's talking back to the tower in 5G language that's worse than the LTE or something. So... Easier for everyone and probably better reception, frankly. When mine had the 5G turned off, it didn't work as well in some areas. Yeah. And so we're always getting exposed from all these frequencies all around. When we go outside, we're in the soup, especially in the city and town. You get more in the rural areas, it's a little bit less. But these frequencies are traveling through the air all the time from AM, from FM, from satellites, from the police, from airplanes, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, cell phones. It's all this big soup that's going through the air. All right, now back to the, yes, it is, sadly. We're going to fix it though today. We're going to solve all the problems. (laughs) Back to the 5G though, and this is another part of it that's a bit nuanced and I think I was confused about, many people still are. Okay, you got the small cell, those little like tubes that you said are every block in a downtown area, right? And those are these high frequency gigahertz, like Mm -hmm. super high frequencies, but don't penetrate. There's like that classification of 5G, which is what I think most people are afraid of. Because it's closest to the military energy weapons and all that. Yes. But then you have this other 5G rollout that just goes on the existing long-range towers, sitting right on top or amongst the other little individual transmitters that are the 3G and the 4G ones. So they just like stacked it on. So you'll be in a rural area like this and still be picking up, quote, 5G. But it's just the fifth generation of cellular service it's not the 5g that's in the downtown areas in that gigahertz short range super gnarly cancer machines is that right yeah no correct so so people i mean it all sucks but i think people should freak out a little less about the long range just normal 5g that's up on the towers with everything else do you am i articulating that 100 percent. that was very good yeah okay yeah Um, you know just anything to add to that yeah i think people worry about certain frequencies being worse than the other there and there's studies out there and there needs to be more studies of which frequencies are more harmful to the bodies and which frequencies are actually good for the bodies because we have a whole range of therapeutic emf stuff on the whole on the other side of the fence here where people the pemf pads and some of the low frequency stuff and the you know, there's a whole range of devices that can be therapeutic yeah, then like we the have, biocharger, the yes, amp coil, yes, all this kind of stuff. Exactly. And then we have the other side that is a lot more harmful. And then a lot of it has to do with the frequency range and the size and the resonance of our body. So 2.4 gigahertz is what microwaves use to heat food because it resonates perfectly with the water molecule. Okay, It's the <laughs> most dangerous to the water molecule and it vibrates it violently and that's why it heats up our food. 
Oh, this is why I don't have Wi-Fi in our house. Right. Well, 2.4 gigahertz is in the microwave. It's also in Bluetooth. It's also in Wi-Fi. And the reason is because it's open source. So government 50 years ago said 2.4, 2.5 around this range is going to be open source. Nobody owns it. It's free game. And that's why all the Bluetooth, the wife, all these people are used because you don't need a license to use it. You don't need to that's own those. Interesting. But what's crazy, I don't want to get conspiracy no, theories, please do. but it's I've also had David Icke on the show. Like we can, <laughs> we can go as far out as you want to. Those frequencies are the most dangerous to the human bodies because guess what our body's made up mostly of? Water. Right? Bingo. Bingo. So that's kind of the scary part is they made that specific band of frequencies open source. It also happens to be the most dangerous biologically to us because we're water and it vi- violently, violently vibrates water molecules. Oh my God, dude. Can you explain to people why the 5G option on some routers, for yeah, Wi-Fi routers, is not the same 5G as what we were talking about prior? Yes. So when on the router, they're actually talking about the frequency. So 5 gigahertz. So when you have the 5G up and it's 5 gigahertz, and then you have 2.4 gigahertz. That's a frequency. So it's the specific frequency that they're talking you, about. Okay, perfect. Because yeah. I think a lot of people like me I, are confused about that. Would you say in your opinion, that the 2.4, if you have an option and you have to have Wi-Fi on in your house because it's useful and you depend on it, et cetera, would it be better to use the 5G Wi-Fi signal, the 5 gigahertz or the 2.4 gigahertz? Like if you had to have it on in your house, which one would you pick? If all other conditions were equal, I would choose 5G because it's further away from that 2.4 gigahertz range. Okay. And it's also less penetrating. So the higher the frequency, the less penetrating. Think AM radio stations, travel through the mountains. You could be way out in the middle of the desert. You're picking up AM radio stations because the frequency wavelength of an AM radio station signal is like quarter mile. It's huge. Now, the frequency wavelength of millimeter bandwidth is actually a millimeter. So they call it millimeter wavelength because it's actually a millimeter size. So that wavelength will determine how much it's going to penetrate, how much it's going to go around buildings and walls and through leaves and through our skin. Got it. Okay, cool. Man, that's, yeah. that's dope. Thank you for eliminating that. But on the millimeter wave topic, we were talking about airports and TSA yesterday. Yes. My arch nemesis worldwide. Well, I guess they're only in the States, but my arch nemesis in terms of travel, dealing with that organization, <laughs> I've always sensed that those millimeter scanner things that spin around you and you hold your arms up like this, I've always sensed that I don't want millimeter waves firing at me. It feels like a military weapon. I've never trusted them. I don't care what the guy says. I'm not walking through it. So I always, whenever possible, go through the metal detector, the old school, like when you're going to court, metal detector. Mm-hmm. or a violent band that you're going to see at a concert, <laughs> wherever they make you walk through metal detector. I was like, oh, I'm stoked. I got the metal detector. And then you told me something that would counter the logic of that choice. Yeah, so the metal detector, old school, is a much more powerful uh, frequency that's going actually through the body. So if you have a metal device within inside your body, it's going to pick that up. Whereas the millimeter, since it's a higher frequency, is not going to penetrate through the skin very much. It's going to lightly go into the edge of the skin, but it's not going to penetrate through the body. And that's why it works so well as radar or imagery because it will hit the body, it'll go through the clothes to the skin and that will reflect back out and then it can pick up how much percentage of it kicked back from your clothes or if you have a knife in your pocket. They're both still EMF. They're both still bad. But if you were to choose one or the other, 
choose the millimeter wave because <laughs> it doesn't penetrate the body as much. Uh, that makes perfect sense. And I'm so pissed that I've spent <laughs> so much time avoiding them for all of these many years. Since they came out, I've been avoiding them. But um, to your point, the best option if you have time and you're you know, willing to be accosted would be the pat down. Pat down, the both pat down, yeah. which ends up happening to me a lot anyway, because I always set off, you know, even the old school alarm with my freaking EMF clothes and whatever. Oh yeah. Okay, let's talk about. I'm like kind of myth busting some stuff here. It was really fun with you. Um, let's talk about earthing as a health benefit, and so using the earthing sheets, the earthing pads when you're sitting in the computer, all of this kind of stuff that where we can again try to bring in the energies of nature into the home. What are your best and worst worst practices in terms of earthing when you're like in a house. Yeah, this is probably one of the biggest misunderstood things with EMF is grounding and earthing and shielding. And these are all three different things. And we talked about this great length yesterday in your home. And the earthing to me, think of that more as therapeutic. That's what we do when we go out and we stand on the grass and we walk on the beach with our bare feet and we're conducting electrons and energy directly to the earth, okay? That's how we've evolved on this planet. Again, you know, we're going ancestral. This is the way we've evolved connected to the earth, and that's more therapeutic. But that doesn't really have anything to do with shielding or blocking or the electrical fields. That's just us connecting with earth and grounding. Now, there's a second thing called grounding. And grounding, think about grounding more like a lightning rod. Okay, you know, the, the big building on the top has a lightning rod and it goes back down to ground. And so that if a, a lightning bolt comes, it will hit that rod and it will go the quickest path back down to ground. And so inside of our home, we have ground wires that run all the way through our house. And those are going into ground rods in the ground so that if lightning strikes our house, we are protected and we're not going to get electrocuted and it will shunt that energy to ground. Now we have shielding, which that is going to block electrical fields from going from one side to the other. So when we talk about like professional audio stuff and we have the tinfoil that's around the the cables that we talked about earlier, that's acting as a shield. Now that shield needs to be grounded back to the source. It needs to be physically connected back to the source that we're trying to shield it from. So as electrons are flying through the air, they hit that shield. That shield's going to act like a shunt, kind of like a ground, similar, but it has a different purpose. It's for blocking the electrons or the electric field. So inside of a home or inside of an office or in a sleeping area, we have this misconception that if we can connect ourselves to ground, that's good. Well, that's only good if we're not in an electric field, which unfortunately a lot of times when we're inside of a home, we are in an electric field. And now we've just turned ourselves into a lightning rod. Now we're providing a path for these electrons to get back to the ground back to the source and we become part of the circuit and we start conducting electricity, which we did some measurements on you where you laid in bed and we actually measured your body voltage. And maybe you can share a little bit about that experience. (laughs) Brutal, dude. I mean, we did all of the shielding of this house. I mean, when we were building it, we went hardcore, did all the things. So the bedroom is a Faraday cage and, and to our credit, we did at least get extremely low radio frequencies in there. But yeah, we had me lay on the bed uh, hold a skin voltage meter, and that's going to determine like how much AC current is hitting my body. And it was much higher than you want it to be. It's totally unnatural, like would never be present in nature in a million years on planet Earth, mm-hmm. which was disconcerting, especially since we had shielded. I think we found maybe the cause of that or something that was quite yeah. nuanced, which was 
when we made the bedroom a Faraday cage by painting the shielding paint and then grounding the floor with the special mesh stuff I got from Brian Hoyer's company, Shielded Healing. That's where I got all the stuff. And he came and did the original testing and stuff. So shout out and credit to uh, Brian and his great team. But then I did a bunch of construction after they came and all the shit got undone. And so I had a friend of mine reground the bedroom system to a copper plate buried in the yard. Mm-hmm. rather than grounding it to the electrical outlet ground mm-hmm. um, because that's you know the way that he thought would be best to do it based on his understanding. So we thought that we might have allowed for an, a little electric field to get over into the bed space even though the room is totally shielded because that grounding is not grounded to itself. Was that correct? Yeah. And the assessment that you had of it? Yes. And grounding and earthing and shielding is very complicated. It took me <laughs> totally. 25 years in an electromagnetic engineer to really fully understand. I'm still learning more about it. Yeah. But yeah, in your situation, and you even had a grounding mat under the bed yeah. that was grounded. Yeah. But in your situation, the we were trying to block the electric field that was coming from the electrical system. Mm-hmm. So we needed to have the shield, which was the wall that we had painted. We were treating it as a shield. And we needed that to be grounded back to the electrical system ground. Mm-hmm. So that was the potential difference. That was the difference of potential. Right. Where, where we made a wrong turn is grounding it to earth Got instead it. of back to the electrical system. Got it. Yep. Okay. And so in terms of, you know, I know this is like <laughs> splitting hairs here for, it takes a certain type of person to want to go this deep and nuanced here. But our analysis after checking that was that we should have done the Faraday grounding of the whole room into the outlet ground, the ground of the building's electrical system. But with the earthing sheet, it would be ideal to actually run that wire out the side of the house right now, How, which is where I have the room grounded to essentially, right? right. That it would make sense to, to get the electrons from the earth into the bed, provided I'm not being exposed to an electric field an ac current of 60 hertz coming out of the wall yeah it, it is kind of new we are getting kind of deep we're into getting the in the weeds, weeds here. With it. but yeah i mean for people this is people try to ground and earth and they i think it's important to understand the difference and so that grounding mat if it connected to earth instead of the wall it needed to touch your skin mm-hmm. and that was another piece we were missing too is you had some um, linens and bedding and i think a mattress topper in between that your cooler, yeah. your chiller system. Yeah, yeah. If it was physically touching your body, we need to have that physical connection. Even if there's a millimeter split in between, it's not going to work. You have to have the physical connection for that DC flow back to earth. Got it. So it's two different things. So we're shielding the room and we're grounding that shield back to the electrical system because that's what we're shielding from. And then we're connecting your body physically to earth separate. And we're making sure that the electrons from the electrical system are not getting to your body to find a path back to earth. And we're doing that with the shield. Yep, yep, perfect. That makes Hopefully perfect that makes sense. sense. <laughs> that makes total sense to me and probably 5% of those listening. Yeah. <laughs> it gets so nutty. But this is why I always tell people, like, hire someone like Ryan at testmyhome.com. Like, do, you know, that, I mean, this is what I do, right? I, I can't figure this stuff out. And I think yeah. so many well-intentioned people are out there using these earthing products, but they're right next to an electric field they don't know it. They're thinking they're doing the right thing. Like I did that for years until I learned otherwise. People are getting different EMF, you know, mitigation tools and things. And it's like, I always say, man, just like save your time, energy, and money. Save up like you're saving up for a vacation somewhere, whatever you save for. Hire a professional to come in and test because 
even when you do, which I did when we were building this house, you still miss things along the way. And you come yep. back and retest. We're like, ah, we got to make one little tweak here and a tweak a there tweak, to really yep. get it perfect. But I would never be able to figure any of that out without someone like you coming in the home and telling me what's up. It's yeah. just, it's indispensable. And I know it's not, you know, accessible for all people, but I think you do it kind of, you know, on a scale of what's feasible for you and your family, right? Where right. you are in your life. And there's there's low-hanging fruit, like putting your router on a timer, you know, if you can't afford to Ethernet the whole house or whatever, right? Yeah, maybe we can just keep it simple for people too, yeah. like what not to do. Like, okay, cool. Get your earthing outside. Go outside okay. to earth. Okay. I know it's hard if you're in the middle of winter or something, but... Get your it's earth better outside. if it's the middle of winter. <laughs> yeah, then you get your cold thermogenesis. In there you the go. Go time. lay in the snow. <laughs> yeah. Get your earthing. But you know, really, that's honestly the best way to do it. Go take a walk on the beach barefoot. Go out on your grass. Go lay on the grass and read a book or something. Get properly earthing inside your home is very difficult. You have to go to pretty great lengths, like we found out. You have to mm-hmm. shield your home. You have to shield the room. Sometimes you have to kill the circuits. You know, which is what ultimately we end up doing with your house yeah. to really get that down to zero level again. Yeah, EMF Other- EMF uh, kill switch is what we're putting in there. I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes. But again, useless to someone that doesn't know how to test and mm-hmm. figure out how to install it right and all that. You know, it gets it yep. gets complex. Yeah. Um, so if you're earthing inside your home, more than likely you're causing more damage than good. Perfect. Because Simple answer. You're becoming part of the circuit now. Cool. Now they have those grounding mats like. For the office space, for mm-hmm. example, where you put your feet on them and grounding. Don't use those as an earthing. Use those as a shield. Take that grounding mat that's grounded to the outlet and cover all of the wires on the floor. And as the electrical field comes off all those wires, they're going to hit that grounding mat and they're going to ground back to earth. So that's how you can... But don't touch it with your foot. Right. Because now you're part of that circuit. That. Yep. is great advice because I was thinking about under my desk where there's all those wires. I don't really keep my feet that far under there, but that's where the dog sleeps. I realized after you left, I was like, oh, poor cookie. She's been getting fried. So yeah. that's a great, so you could buy it like what, you know, say under your workspace, right? You could buy one of the larger grounding mats or even mm-hmm. like a small grounding sheet and basically just burrito up all of yes. your cables and plug that into the ground plug and you're golden it's all just like recirculating itself yep. down there basically yeah or if you bought one and you're like what the heck that sucks i just got ripped off no you can repurpose that and use it for its intended purpose oh cool there we go because a lot yeah. of people are listening like shit i just bought yeah. a bunch of earthing pads and whatever oh a lot i, I can't tell you my homes i go into and they have all these cool earthing grounding this and they're using them wrong and they're actually making it worse and what kind of sucks about that is now their whole deal with EM, EMF is already hard enough for a lot of people to grasp. Unless you're really sensitive, then it's pretty obvious to you. But they're not really seeing effects from it. And so then they think, oh, well, it must not be the EMF because I just did this grounding in my house and now I'm not really feeling any different. In fact, I feel a little worse. And the problem is because they did it wrong. Right. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that is born out of, um, I don't know that they, they were intentionally deceptive, but just erroneous videos people would make which I fell for and started buying all the earthing products is where you're you're in an electric field next to a lamp or something, right? Sitting on a bed. And then you have um, a skin voltage meter that's mm-hmm. picking up that electric field from the lamp that you're next to. Then you put your finger on a grounding mat and it drops to zero. And you're like, sick, no more EMF for me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's not really what's happening, right? right. Like what's, what is in fact happening? It's just using you as the conduit. And now all that's that, that electricity just going through you? It's all in the measurement because when you got the meter out and you're measuring, it's measuring a difference of potential. So if okay. this is three volt and this is one volt and I measure from here to here, it's going to have that two volt difference. And so that's what I'm going to measure. Typically when you're measuring with the voltage, 
with the meter, you'll have one end is ground and then one end is the hot. And we're measuring for difference of potential. So if you're measuring you and the ground is referencing ground with the meter and your grounding mat is plugged into ground and now you touch ground and we measure you to ground, it's basically like touching the, the meter's probes together. It's electrically, it's the same connection. Uh, so that's, so that's getting the zero mm-hmm. and the false hope that you're protected right. from the electric field. Yeah. Okay. And don't feel bad because it's that's some deep engineering stuff right there to, to get through yeah. all that and understand I mean, that. dude, there's a huge learning curve. And that's yeah. why I like interviewing guys like you so I can, you know, get hopefully complex information distilled down for the people listening so they can mm-hmm. just make practical choices and, you know, know when they're doing more harm than good. Um, what's your take on smart meters? Um, you know, smart meters, it, it's a lot about proximity. If you have a smart meter on the opposite side of your bed where you're sleeping, that could be a big deal. The thing with smart meters is that it mostly is shooting away from the house because radio frequency will reflect off of metal. And a lot of times the smart meter is in a metal enclosure behind it and it's shooting majority of the time away from the house. When we do measurements, a lot of times we get more reading coming from the neighbor firing at your house. So if you live in a tighter uh, knit community where the homes are close, it's your neighbor's smart meter firing at you. That's going to give more exposure than your own, your own smart meter. Now, a lot of exposure dials down to three different things. It's the strength of the signal that's coming off of the source. It's the duration. How long are you in the source? And it's distance. How far away are we from it? So when it comes to a smart meter, they'll send a ping out every 45 seconds to a couple minutes sometimes. And actually, if you're further away from the, the main power company, if you're at the very end, your ping is maybe only happen every couple hours. If your smart meter is close to the substation, it's acting as a path and it could be pinging quite a bit more. It was fun. I actually did a, an assessment on a home where the guy was an engineer for uh, the SRP power company in Phoenix, and he designed and built those things. And he sat down and explained the whole thing to him. It's fascinating how how it works. Really? But he was very EMF aware himself, and so he kind of knew the dangers. But it was kind of interesting to see the other side of it, um, the technology. But so the ping that happens is only a millisecond and maybe only a minute or so. So we talk about duration. That's not very much duration add up over the day. And then proximity, if it's across the house, it's not as much of a concern. Okay. Are all smart meters created equal in, in terms of how much radiation they put out and how often? I feel like I've tested a few. Some of them will just like break your meter and it seems mm-hmm. pretty consistent. And then some of them I can't even, like they don't even barely hit the RF meter. Like nothing's even happening. I'm like, are there some like fake smart meters that aren't that bad? Or It's your proximity in the grid. Okay. Where are you in relationship to the main central? Okay, uh, so what you just explained essentially yes. is going to determine. Yep, it's like they're playing telephone with each other. This, this one's talking to this one, talking to this one, and it's broadcasting down. That's because if you're, like I said, if you're far out in the boonies, it's not transmitted very much. If you're really close to the central hub, you're sending all that information through. Okay, got it. Yeah, we ended up switching ours out when we moved in here. And I think it was like 50 bucks a month fee you <laughs> Had to pay. I think it went down to thirty five now, but still, I'm like you dicks, you know. And they're yeah. like, "Well, that's what it costs because we have to send a person out." And I'm like, just on principle alone, even if having one wasn't that bad, I just I don't want to be part of that system mm-hmm. because of the privacy issues too. Mm-hmm. It's not just the EMF; it's the data collection and the the spying potential, right? Where you're 
Alexa refrigerator is like talking to the CIA for you, you know, this kind of stuff. Like when they, when they came and did our, our new, um, like sewer system, cause we got rid of septic, they put a smart meter on the water system. And I was like, oh, I don't want that. And they're like, well, too bad. Then you don't get water. I was like, okay. So I ran out there and <laughs> tested it and it's not putting off any EMF, but what it does do is it tells them what time of day you use water and they charge you exponentially more for certain times based on drought patterns and water scarcity and things of this nature. So I'm like, yeah. it's none of your business when I'm using the water I buy from you. I bought it from you. I'm going to use it when I want. And they're like, no, you're not. Oh yeah. And it's amazing how much data they can collect. You know, every device you have in your home has its own specific signature, kind of like a fingerprint. So when that turns on, so what we measure as dirty electricity, we showed you on the oscilloscope when we analyzed your power, they can tell what devices are on and what devices are off based on the signature. So an inductive motor has a different phase alignment than let's say the, the lights or the fan that you turn on or your pool pump. These all have different electrical signatures. And so as those turn on and off, it can sense and it can tell you. So if you have a smart meter, they can tell you when you're using your electric bidet. Yeah, they can tell you. Yeah, they can tell the difference between a lighting load or a motor uh, load or air conditioning. That's creepy, dude. Yeah. Call me paranoid. Well, data collection is big business. Right. They, they not only make money off of the power that we pay them for, but they're making money off of the data that they're collecting. Right. Data information is big business. Okay, noted. I'm going to take a moment here to share an incredible resource with you. It's called Quantum Upgrade. Every unit of matter contains quantum energy, and so do our cells. Every person has a quantum energy field and constantly interacts with other quantum energy fields. Quantum energy is so important that the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics was specifically about quantum entanglement. Let me explain here how Quantum Upgrade uses this energy to powerfully enhance our well-being. Through many years of research, Quantum Upgrade has developed one of the world's most potent sources of usable quantum energy. When you sign up for their service, Quantum Upgrade associates your home, your phone, your business, your pet, or even your car with this energy source. And you all know by now what an EMF mitigation fanatic I am. That's because EMF frequencies are incoherent and dramatically stress the human body. Well, Quantum Upgrade counters this problem by harmonizing the EMF to make them no longer toxic to your body. This is why I love the service on my car. My car fatigue has dramatically improved. I mean, it very obviously works. But apart from the EMF benefits, Quantum Upgrade also enhances your vitality in many other ways, which are shown in the studies on their website. So if you want an affordable way to deal with EMF and experience the vitality you deserve, check out quantumupgrade.io. And get a 15-day free trial using the code LUKE15. Again, that's quantumupgrade.io. We found something interesting here that I think would be useful for people. And that was my alarm system, the ADT alarm. When they installed it, I was like, does this thing like talk to the mothership all the time? Oh, no, sir. Every once in a while, it sends a ping. And I was like, eh, all right, it sounds dubious. Sure enough, what did you find? It was a pretty powerful source. It was putting out 2.5 million microwatts constantly, all the time, no matter what. No off button. No off button. Was- and even when we did a system shutdown, it just turns itself back on. Turn itself back on. Then I unplugged it in the, in the little AV closet, 
turned itself back on with the back battery. Yep. Then, then what did you do to fix it? <laughs> we had to take it apart, pull the back off, and we had to disconnect the battery from it. Yeah, so yeah. it's currently, don't tell any criminals out there, it's currently unplugged. Okay. But, you know, the cool thing there, at least when we leave the house, it's, it's pretty easy to just flip the power back on and make it work again. So anyone listening that wants to break in, good luck with that. You're not going to make it very far. But these are the kind of things, you know, people have in their homes. It's like everyone wants everything smart and easy, convenient. They want to live in the Jetsons. And it's like, dude, you're, you're turning your home into a microwave oven. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, what about baby monitors? Oh, this is a tough one. This is hard because a lot of people have baby monitors. And the problem with baby monitors is they typically put them really close to the baby, sometimes even mount them right on the crib. When babies are growing and developing, their cells are dividing rapidly, it's probably one of the most critical times to have them in a clean environment, electrically, chemical-wise, lighting. But what happens is new baby comes into the picture, they go and they repaint the whole room, they get new furniture, they get all these cool electronics. And a lot of times the nursery can be one of the most toxic rooms in the house. So you know, it's kind of sad, so I'm not to point this out. I've had mothers break down and cry and feel bad, like, oh my gosh, I'm really hurting my kid. Is this permanent? No, this stuff isn't permanent. Let's fix it, though, so we're not exposing the little baby to these things when it's unnecessary. You, there's other ways to accomplish the same thing. We can get baby monitors that are hardwired, that you can run a cable in, and it maybe doesn't look the best, or maybe just turn it off when they're not in there. A lot of these things are broadcast and nonstop all the time. No reason to have it on all the time if you don't need it be monitoring the baby in there. They do have wired ones, though. They do have wired ones. They're becoming more and more uh, harder to get because everybody wants to go wireless, but they are still out there. You got to look for them. So everyone listening, share this podcast with every mom or potential mom you know so that some entrepreneur out there is going to make a badass, very functional and beautiful baby monitor that plugs into your Ethernet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What about this jump conduction issue on Ethernet cables? I thought in this house, I'm totally stoked. It was built in 2004. There's Ethernet ports in every room. No Wi-Fi. We're stoked. And then you're like, wrong. What did you find on the Ethernet cables? Electric field. So electrical energy, electric field likes to jump. Remember we showed you, you just hold on to it. And I measured your other hand. And so through your body, you're conducting electricity. Through the cables, it's conducting electricity. It has a ground wire in it. That ground wire can get energized. And so unless you're shielded, you're shielding the cable and you're grounding that cable, it goes back to the grounding versus earthing. We're grounding, we're shielding, and it needs to be shielded back at the source where it's coming from. If you don't do that, we're emitting an electric field through the wire. So even though your room was completely shielded, grounded, now you had this Cat5 cable coming up onto the bed, which is great because that's what you want to do. That's what I have in my house as well. But it needs to be shielded and it needs to be grounded. Do people sell shielded Ethernet cable? Yes. Okay. Good to know. And so if someone's shopping for Ethernet cable because they figured out, you know, oh, I could just plug an Ethernet cable into my router and then, you know, use an adapter on my phone, plug my laptop in, could someone easily find shielded Ethernet cable? Yes. Yeah, you can Google Amazon shielded Ethernet cable. Cool. It's the little adapter, though. You you plug it in and then that little coupler unit has a ground wire that goes in and plugs into the ground. Oh, okay. So So you got to have that one piece that grounds it and you do it at the source. Got it. So you would plug the Ethernet cable into the Ethernet port and then there's another little wire that would go to a nearby outlet into the ground of the outlet? Yes. Okay, got it. Yep. Cool. And they have grounded Ethernet switches. Mm -hmm. So you can ground the Ethernet switch 
And then the grounding cable, you need like a whole system. Oh my God. It's, the, grounding is really the most tricky thing when it comes it to is. that. It is. I'm tough. sorry for those listening. This gets, it's difficult. Like, right. <laughs> but then, you know, you hire someone like you to come in and help us fix it, I guess. What about, oh man, again, I'm sorry to be the messenger here, guys. I'll play devil's advocate. How awesome are wireless speakers like Sonos and, and smart TVs that aren't connected or hardwired to anything? Sonos done the way that you do it is probably the best way to do it. But unfortunately, a lot of people will just use Sonos. They don't hardwire. That's probably one of the worst. So when I go into test EMF in a home, Sonos is just blasting throughout the whole thing. Speakers, and it's like a little mini cell tower in every room. Now you can hardwire. But you have to go into the settings and turn the wireless off. If you don't do that, it's still going to be transmitting. So I see a lot of people make the mistake. They think, well, I'm just going to hardwire it all, which is great. But they don't go into the settings and they don't turn off the wireless function. So now it's still broadcasting. This just described my life before I went around with my meter. And I was like, what? Why is the Sonos speaker putting off RF? It's, it's hardwired with Ethernet. And and even my AV guys are like, oh yeah, there's nothing. You just plug in the Ethernet, and it turns it off. And I had to dig in and geek out in the in the Sonos like app on my computer, basically, and was able to disable them all. But man, if I didn't know that, like you said, I'd be living in a sea of what's essentially a bunch of Wi-Fi routers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know what I want to ask you in lighting. What's your take on these um, Philips Hue bulbs and these like bulbs that magically change colors based on the time of the day? Well, if they're Bluetooth enabled and you're connecting through Bluetooth or even Wi-Fi, then we got the bad effect of the Wi-Fi and the radio frequency. They do make a smart, and I want to get it from my home. It's super cool. It runs off of Cat6 cable. So you run Cat6 cable instead of electrical wiring. So it's low voltage. So it doesn't have an electric field. And then it's called circadian rhythm lighting. So it'll actually change colors and dimness throughout the day. So it'll track exactly the same color and intensity as the sun. And you just leave it and let it sit. And what? it will change hue. It'll change color. The sun goes down. It turns red. It goes dim. Bro, what? It What's is so this cool. I'm going to find more information. When, I, when okay. I get back home from this, there's a guy I'm going to meet with. And we're going to talk about well, from I heard about He's actually local oh, okay. where I live. Uh, I need to get more information. Keep I know it us, exists. Okay. I just didn't know where or who to, to get it from. Keep us posted. And yes. if, if we get that info in time, we'll put it in the show notes. So cool. And stuff. is this something you would really only be able to do in the in the process of building or remodeling a house? Or could you retrofit your house with that? Kind so, of setup? You, I mean, the trick is getting the cables mm-hmm. where they need to go. So, there's going to be some retrofit. There's going to be some cutting involved. And you don't have to do it on every single light in your It doesn't need to be in your storage room or your laundry room, but like right. your main area, the bedrooms. Take the time to wire up a system like that in your house. If That's you can. dope. I this is it. more next level stuff, biohacking stuff that I think should be standard in most homes in the future. I think a lot of this health stuff should be standard and it's not. But out of the big scheme of thing, it's probably not the first thing I would do is call up someone to come do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things like ERV yeah. and, and air filtration and water filtration and hardwire your home. These are all like no brainers. Let's do these. But the circadian rhythm light, this is some really cool next level stuff. I mean, it's definitely cooler than getting those ones, like you said, that are each a little Wi-Fi transmitter. Yes. So I had those when the Philips Hughes ones came out. It was kind of a trick question because I already had my answer. But I had them in my nightstand lights. And then across from the bed, I had a dresser with two lamps on it. 
And I had those on. I was like, oh, it's so cool. When it gets dark, you know, it turns red. And then I asked a friend about it. I think it was actually Dave Asprey. No, it was him when we were doing some coaching back in the day. And he's like, yeah, that's cool for the melatonin. But guess what? Now you have four Wi-Fi routers, yeah. you know, trying, or try, quadrangling you in your bed, whatever the word for four things around you is. I was like, never mind. Took those <laughs> out, returned them. Yep. What about things, these mysterious things, these pesky things that aren't supposed to be smart appliances and electronics, but they are. Tell everyone about my printer. Yeah, so your printer was actually off. No lights, no indication. And it was sending this beacon signal out about every three seconds, this burst like a machine gun sound. Sending it through your house, sending it through your office. And unfortunately, it's right where you sit in your desk multiple hours a day, not even using it, and you're getting exposure from it. There's a lot of these sleeper type devices that want to stay connected. They want that connectivity. So when the router's active, it's sensing who's what other devices are in the area and it keeps that IP address open for them or it can assign it to specific IP addresses so that if you go to turn your printer on or you go to turn your TV on, it's already have, it already has a connection established. So it's a lot faster. Unfortunately, when you're, it's not on and you're not using it, it's still broadcasting through the house. That's just insane that when yeah. it's turned off, it's mm-hmm. that way. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I guess the answer there is... A, whenever you buy stuff, just test it or buy things that don't even have the option to be wirelessly enabled. Right. Like that one has the Wi-Fi thing, but I'm like, who cares? Because I'm just going to hardwire it and I'll never use it. Yep. Lo and behold, I've had that thing for a couple of years right next to my desk, like you said, Yep. just hammering me in the face. What about, what do you find in people's homes when you test um, some of their health technologies like saunas, for example? Yeah, there's some good saunas out there. Um, you know, sauna space is one of the the best ones as far as low or no EMF. They've done a lot of work to minimize that. Um, yours, clear light and clear light, clear light, yeah, clear light, yeah. That tested pretty good. Of course, it wasn't zero. We still have energy in there. We still have a little bit of a magnetic field from the filaments, but there's some that can be a lot worse. You know, I always tell people when it comes to those therapeutic type devices, use them, get the benefit from it. Don't stress out about the EMF. If you can get one that's low EMF, great, but to sit in there for 15, 20 minutes and detox and get toxins out, is the benefit of that is probably much better than the little bit of EMF you're getting. Cost to benefit ratio. Cost to benefit ratio, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Uh, have you ever tested one of these backyard barrel saunas that have the electric stove in them by chance? I haven't, but I've tested a lot of electrical heaters themselves and the electrical filament it just inherently is really strong magnetic fields. Magnetic, okay. Yep, it's the magnet. It's when the, it's when the current is going through a conductive material that it throws off this magnetic field. Got it. All right. Because I want to get one of those barrel saunas and I I guess I'm going to have to accept that the benefit of sweating is probably more than the detriment of a magnetic field for a while. Yep. Just sit on the opposite side. Right. Okay. Then what do you have to say about, um, you know, we all really, most of us at least work on computers. What's your take on the wireless mouse and computer? I know you recommended that I get rid of my trackpad. Anything you can go wired, let's go wired. Especially, remember we talked about proximity. And duration. So if you're eight hours a day with your hand on a mouse, better have that thing wired because you're getting a lot of exposure. And if you don't need to be sitting across the room and it's right there where your computer is, why not have it wired? It's not really an inconvenience. Some of this stuff we're trading inconvenience for health. And if we're not really getting that much benefit from it, why why give us the negative side effects from the health? And you said, which I didn't know, that Bluetooth is that 2.4, which is the worst on the water molecule and we're mostly water. Right. Including, exactly. including your hand. Including your hand. Made of mostly water. Right. That's sitting on that Bluetooth trackpad. Oh, God. Okay. 
Uh, tell us what we discovered about the, uh, well, well, you already knew and you turned me on to the f- phone on airplane mode versus not versus turned off and all that. This was, again, mind-blowing emoji. Yeah, and I get this almost every time with my clients and we're going through the different sources. Cell phone, you know, just background, cell phone is the number one source of EMF exposure by far, bar none, around us. Because of strength, it's high strength. It has to talk all the way back to the cell tower. Duration, it's on us almost all the time. Most people have it right by their bed at night. They have it in their pocket all day long. And then, you know, the proximity, close to us, duration, strength. So we have all three things all at once. Now, I tell people, put this on airplane mode. A lot of people kind of, yeah, it's nighttime, let's put it on airplane mode. But when we put it on airplane mode, Apple in particular will still keep Bluetooth on it will make it so that you can't connect to Bluetooth, but Bluetooth is still transmitting. So you actually have to go into the settings and go to the Bluetooth section and physically slide Bluetooth over for it to be fully off. Now, also, if you go ahead and just turn your phone all the way off, it will still be transmitting, which I'm not sure exactly why. Conspiracy theory out on that one all you want, but it still transmits when it's off. Yeah, because I've always wondered if your phone is turned off and you lose it somewhere, find my phone still works. Right. And so when I tested my iPhone powered off and it still made RF, it still was producing EMF, I was like, oh, I see. They're just turning the screen off, but the phone's still on doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So what it's doing, we don't know. It could be nefarious, could be just an oversight, or they want to make it convenient to find your phone, be able to track it. Yep. But um, for years, I was sleeping with my phone in airplane mode near me, listening to podcasts and stuff <clears> at night. Um, and it was on the fake airplane mode until yesterday you showed me how to do it for real. Mm-hmm. So I think what I'll do, you know what I'll do actually, Ryan, is I'll make a video of how to do that setting on your phone because it's easier to show than tell. And I'll post it to my Instagram so the people that are listening to this can go to lukestory.com slash testmyhome and we'll put a link to that post in the show notes if all goes well. Because that's yeah. a really good hack. It's super important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and another, you know, all this stuff we're talking about, I'm talking about on my Instagram as well. I have tons of videos. On oh, all cool, this stuff. cool. Do you have that yeah. one on there? I think I do. You got to okay. look for it. I well, have so much stuff. It's probably not organized like it should be, but I have so much. All the stuff we're talking about, I have videos and it's all free content to get on there and learn. Rad. What's your Instagram handle? At Test My Home. At Test My Home. Yeah. How the hell did you get that URL? Did you, that cost you a lot of money? Testmyhome.com. It, 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 it costs a little money. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I depend on how long you've had URLs. I remember I had to buy one for another business and it was like five grand. That was a lot of years ago, man. And I had to beat the guy up to to get it from him. He was just he was just parked on it, you know, yeah. just waiting until someone wanted to give him free money. What about solar panels? I don't have any, but I know this is a big question for a lot of people that are concerned with EMF. What are the issues and solutions around solar? Yeah, a lot of times it's not the actual solar panels themselves. It's the inverter box that converts it from 12 volt to 120 volt AC. That converter box has a big transformer and some capacitors and some switch modes, power supply um, transformers. And so what happens in that conversion process is there's a lot of line interference. And that line interference can get sent down the line as dirty electricity. But also, there's a big magnetic field that comes from that um, inductor that's pulsating. And so you want to be mindful of where that inverter is in your house. If it's right on the outside of a bedroom or a nursery or your office, uh, you might want to consider either moving that or moving the bed or the desk because we don't want to be in that field. And I mean, like, I think we're going to talk about the magnetic field and what we found yeah. at your house because we got to think, a lot of times we're looking at what's in the room, what's around us, but what's on the other side of the wall? What's on the yeah, floor totally. below us? Because these totally. energetic fields will go right through the wall, right through the floor, 
and right through our body and affect us on its way through. Yeah, yeah. With the magnetic field from the solar, you were saying that's not coming right off of the panels, but it's from this converter thing? Yep, it's the, the inverter box. Inverter that's box. Kind of the, okay. yeah. Now, some of these newer panels have what's called micro-inverters, and they're built into the panel. And so it's not as bad with the magnetic energy because it's kind of spread out throughout the panels. But we're still going to get that line interference, that dirty oh, electricity, okay. those spikes in the electric field. Okay. And you can buy filters that you can install that will help mitigate that. So you'd put it like in line after the power coming from the solar? Yep. Okay. Yep. Are there any solar brands that, that produce the, the actual tech or companies that install that are EMF aware? Is that something that exists at all where there's like two or three companies that already do it right? You don't have to worry about it? You know, I don't have really have any specific that I could recommend that I know are clean. I just know that some are better than others. Okay. Some inverters, they'll state that they're clean power or low line interference. So you can look ah, for those okay. kind of keywords. That's a good keyword. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I think you know a lot of people already have solar and are like, oh shit, now I got to hire someone like you to come in and try to fix it. Yep. But if you're building a home or you want to add solar, I think it's something really important to pay attention to is like yep. ask some questions, do a bit of research so that you don't spend a bunch of money on a solar system that's going to compromise your health. Yep, and just budget in to put a filter on it. You know, Sadik makes a good filter. Right, that's the one I have on my site, the whole house. I think it's called yep. the Power Perfect Box. Yep, yep. so go to your yeah. site and you just get one of those. Okay, cool. Help. Yeah, we got to install that freaking thing here still. Okay, so I think we're about to close. I do want to cover one last topic that's, again, could be potentially complex and is also nuanced. And that is, in terms of EMF mitigation... I see it as you having two categories. You have like hard physics, like physical material physics, and then you have quantum physics. And I wanted to get your perspective on the difference between those two because I think that there's benefits to addressing EMF from both perspectives, which is what I do. I just do it all just in case something doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. What's your take on blocking, shielding, physics, physics versus these harmonizing devices and quantum energy things and all this stuff? This is a really good topic. This is a good one. I Again, like this. I think there's a lot of confusion about it. There you know? is, and I get this all the time. I can't tell you that. This is probably the number one question I get is, does this so-and-so harmonize work? Does this work? Does this work? And now the question is, does it work to do what? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, because we can lump all of these environmental toxins and stressors in the same group, and our goal is to eliminate them. If we can eliminate the source, then it's much easier to try to mitigate the after effects. If we can take the chemicals out of the water, it's much easier than to take that water and have healthy water. And if we want to add stuff to it, structure and whatever. Same thing with the air. Let's get the, let's get the particles out of the air. Let's get the chemicals out of our house. Let's get the mold out of our house. Once we have, let's get the EMF sources. Let's turn them off. Let's reduce them. Let's hardwire. That's always the first step. And so our company and what we focus on primarily step one is we remove all the known toxins. Let's remove everything we can. Now, whatever's left over, now let's talk about how can we work with what we have left over and what can we make better. And so when it comes to EMF, I'm always saying let's reduce, let's turn off, let's distance, let's try to hardwire. But that's impossible in a lot of scenarios because we don't want to live like Amish people, right? Not that that's bad. That's probably good. I think we probably would be better off if we did. But a lot of people work from home, teenagers in the house. And so we're going to have some level of technology, right? And so how can we mitigate the effects of that? How can we mitigate the damage that happens from that? 
And I think that's where harmonizers, they get a bad rap because on the physical side, the mechanical physics, you know, mechanical physics, we're talking about bowling balls and light and speed and movement. We can measure and I have a meter. If you take any of these harmonizing devices or shielding devices and you put it next to a meter and you put it next to a Wi-Fi router, you're not going to see any difference. You're not going to see any drop in that. At a quantum level, there's a whole different world. So quantum level, you know, we got, the, we got this world that we see around us, right? And then we got the world of our cells. And those cells, are, they have their own rules and their own laws and they're interacting different. And then inside the cells, we have the molecules. Inside the molecules, we have the atoms. And in the atoms, they have their own rules and their own laws and their own universe and their own thing. And in, below that, you, know, you get all the way down to the basement level and it's just pure energy, right? It's just pure quantum energy, the zero field. And that is where intention and consciousness and ideas and concepts and everything that we can think of can happen in that world, right? That's kind of the potential, the waves of potential. And it's only until we bring those levels back up into what we perceive on our level of consciousness with our bodies that it forms into reality. So at that lowest level, we can control that, we can manipulate that, we can change that, and we can do that with thoughts, we can do that with different energies, we can do that with ideas and concepts. And so there's these devices that can affect that lowest level. I believe that us as humans are probably one of the most important things on this planet that can affect that level. I think our thought, our consciousness, our ideas have the biggest impact on the zero energy field. And we bring that into reality every day with the decisions that we make. But I know you have like the Leela quantum, and you can probably tell me a lot more about what that actually does, but that manipulates in the quantum field. Right? And so I know enough about quantum physics to know I don't know a whole lot about it. I know that's a wacky, strange world. We're talking about really, really small bits of time and really, really small bits of information and a whole lot of energy, but it's what affects all of us. It's the basement. It's what affects all of living being and all of our solar system and everything. So when you can tap into that and you can help control that and you can help manipulate that, I think there's a lot of things that we really can't measure and we really can't quantify. So there really is no meters or no equipment that we can use to measure some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people really have this argument and this confusion. I think people sometimes take advantage of marketing with people and the fear and they dip into the physical world saying that it can change and it can reduce and do these things, which you know, anybody with a meter can tell you that it doesn't. But then we have this other side that says we have some deeper stuff going on. And this deeper stuff really is what really matters at the lowest level. Because in reality, we are just one. There, at that lowest level, there's no difference between my hand and the air and the molecule and the particles and your skin, and it's all one energy field together. It's just our perception that bring this reality into and to separate that and make that different. Yeah, right? that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think that to totally discount all of the EMF stuff that's in the quantum realm would be doing humanity a disservice because some of it is beneficial. Mm -hmm. I think the tricky part is it's also easy to defraud people using fear, like, ah, oh, EMF's going to give you cancer, buy this holographic sticker for your phone and it'll save you and your family kind of thing. You know, it's yep. like, ah, there's just so much room for fraudulent marketing and just 
bullshit, just mm-hmm. scammy stuff in there. That, and that's what's frustrating me because I, I like you, have a, a rudimentary understanding of the primordial energy that all matter is really born from, right? And so you, you know that to be true. Um, you can feel it, you can sense it, you experience it. So it's just a knowing that we have of this energy. Yet at the same time, it's like I could come up with, I could go down to Kinko's and print up some little stickers and tell you they're going to protect your phone. And they're not, right? So, Well, let me add to that a little yeah. bit. If your intention was strong enough and you believed it and the person that put on their phone believed it, then it probably will protect them. Good point. Because Good point. our mind is very powerful and we can influence with what we say. That's the whole power of prayer and the whole thing about what you say, what you can bring into reality, what you can think about, you bring about. I like that a lot because mm-hmm. that's so true. And so if you truly believe that that sticker was helping you and I truly believe that that sticker was helping me, it probably helps me. Right. So, totally. you know, well, yeah, I asked. Uh, and that's of- the tricky thing about the quantum world. Right. Is it, it comes down to thoughts and beliefs and spoken word and prayer and it, that all matters. It's important. Yeah, it is. I um, I asked Bruce Lipton a couple of years ago about, um, you know, the cell tower across the street, right? And if the biology of belief epigenetics, all this stuff. I said, if I am living by that cell tower and I'm also in fear of that you know, exposure and I hold a deep, firm belief that it's hurting me and it's going to make me sick, will it make me sick more? And he said, based on his research and, and his model, yes, for sure. And he went on to say, and I'm going to paraphrase, something to the effect that if I had that strong of a belief that it was totally harmless and that my energy field was strong enough to repel it and protect me, that that would also work. And I was like, ah, I want to believe you, but I'm still shielding my bedroom, you know? Yeah. I mean, because I don't know how many of us have a strong enough auric field or intention to just harmonize any of that energy coming at us. I'm, I believe it's probably possible. I just, you know, my model is kind of around this topic is trust God, but tie up your camel, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going to have all the FLFE and Leela and Soma Vedical and Blue Shield. I mean, I have a bunch of shit in the house. It's super cool. Feels great. But I'm also going to shield the bedroom just right. to be on the safe side. Right. You know? So I have the physics, physics covered and the quantum. Um, yep. But I think like to your point of simplicity and just first things first is start to eliminate the sources as best mm-hmm. you can. I mean, I think that's really practical, sane advice for your average person. Yeah. You know, and that's where we kind of hand the ball off to the homeowner. When we go into the home, our main focus is let's identify all the toxins. Let's identify the known stressors and let's eliminate them. Let's reduce them. If we can shield from them, we can. Everything beyond that is kind of like, have fun with it and try it out and see if it works for you, if it feels good. Because if you have a, a low level backline that we're get, we got down to our background levels and we don't have any of these known toxins anymore, now your body's going to be a lot more sensitive. So if you bring something into the environment, how does that work? How do you feel? Do you sleep better? Do you have dreams better? Like, What is your mood? And then you can play around with that stuff. Because who am I to tell you on the quantum level that that's not going to work or it is going to work? Because just my input into that, my observation of that is going to change it. And so if, I, if everyone's going around saying that this water right here is going to poison me and I start believing it enough, I drink that water, might not feel good off of that water, even though it could be completely harmless and vice versa. You know, there's totally. something out there that could help you and everyone says it's not going to help you. But that's where I stick with the physical. Yeah. And that's where our company sticks with the physical. And so when people ask me about that kind of stuff, I'd be honest and say, according to our meters, 
it does not reduce EMF levels. <laughs> totally. You know? Yeah. And Brian Hoyer says the same thing. He's like, yeah. some of it might be real, but the only thing that's really real to me is what my meters say. Right. And, you know, I'm and more, that's, I think yeah. that's responsible in, in your field, to be honest, in what you guys do in the testing. Like, give me the hard science, like the physical right. science, because that, that gives you the starting point. You know? Yeah. And it's sad enough that people already think that some of this stuff is woo woo, the EMF and mold and chemicals and, to me, that just blows me away how people would think, how could you think that these environmental factors are not impacting our bodies? We're chemical electrical beings. We're, we were raised and born on this planet and evolved on this planet with the environment around us, with the fresh air and the water and the sunlight. When we start changing that, how can that not affect us? You know? yeah. And I see that in people's homes. I go into people's homes and I see so many damaging things and we fix it and I watch them get better and it's amazing. But a lot of these people... They didn't even realize that they had something wrong in the first place. Maybe they just have low-level brain fog or low-level energy or their testosterone's low, and they just think that's how it is. That's the norm because they've never got to a point in their life where they feel better. They've got out of their environment into a sense where they actually like it. And some people I'll talk to like, yeah, I love going to the beach. Or I love going to the lake. And when I go up camp and I feel wonderful, I'm like, well, you need to lean into that more because if you can go there and you're starting to feel great, what is it about that that's making it great? You're leaving the, maybe a toxic environment and you're putting yourself more in a natural state. Our body's like that. And so we need to look at that more. And that's the whole focus when we go into someone's home is we're trying to make you feel better. We're trying to optimize you. So we have three different types of clients. We have our sufferers, we have our warriors, and we have our warriors. So like our warriors, that's like me and you and the Dave Asprey's and the Ben Green, for the people that they want to live forever, they're doing all the right things. And they just want to optimize their life and they're doing everything they can. And then the sufferers, those are the kind of the unfortunate ones. Those are the ones that they didn't pay attention to this stuff and they ate unhealthy and they surrounded themselves with too much electronics and they're using toxic chemicals and they got mold grown and now they're sick and now they're not feeling good. Now they can't be a good spouse or a good parent and they can't do their work like they can. They can't even think properly. And when you get to that point, life sucks. It's hard to, to deal with life when you're sick. I used to be there. So I know what that's like. And there's not much future when you are dealing with a chronic illness and a sickness. But then we have the worriers, and those are typically the moms with a couple kids, and they're just mama bear looking out for the family. Do I have mold? Do I have this? Those three different types of clients, we kind of deal with them three different ways. You know, it's three different experiences. And I'll tell you, though, every single client that we work with, there's something going on in their home that can optimize. You might not be sick but I guarantee you, you're not at your optimal peak. And it's not just because of your environment. You can work on your food as well. You can work on your mental state as well. You can work on your physical fitness. There's a lot of areas you can work on. But unfortunately, a lot of people save the environment for last. That's something they don't really even think about. And so that's where we come in and we specialize in the environment. And lots of we'll do it for you. That's what you need to get done. But we're here to teach you. Uh, I have a lot of podcasts, I have a lot of free information. I said, I have been on a lot of podcasts mm -hmm. where we've talked about this stuff. It's all on the website. It's all free. And I'll have people say, you know, I don't really have much money or, you know, I don't know where to start. Start by going through the podcast, going through some of this free information, start learning. There's a lot of free, easy, simple steps you can do right now. Go open up your window, take off your shoes when you come in your house, you know, get rid of these toxic chemicals, start turning your devices off at night. There's so many little things you can do right now to help improve the environment. And once you start seeing that improvement, and you start feeling better, you're like, wow, I didn't think that I could have more energy or I didn't know I could be more clear in my head. I didn't know that I could have these better thoughts or 
better relationships. Everything in your life is going to start changing and you're going to like that and then you're going to want more. You're going to want more. Then you're going to start to turn from a worrier and into a warrior because you're going to like how it feels and you're going to keep going. And that's what's amazing. I love it, dude. Yeah. When you guys are uh, doing these tests, I I think I kind of forgot to ask you because in, in our situation, seems like mostly we're just kind of testing and then you guys are going to leave and probably send me some recommendations and then I'm going to deal with whatever I need to fix, right? Mm-hmm. But um, do you guys work with people in the capacity where you test someone's bedroom and it has a bunch of EMF and you actually come in and do the shielding and the paint and all the things? So that's where we also we draw the line with that as well. We don't do any of the, the remediation Oh, kind of like we were talking about the mold, right? Same thing, yeah, because I don't the want... The fox in the hen house. I don't want me or, or my technicians or my billing ballast coming in the house trying to find problems. Got we it. want to be strictly testing. That's what we do. That's our company. That's what we're paid for. And that's it. Now, that's where sometimes people call up different mold inspectors and it'll be all over the price range. You know, and if you're paying, I, I paid the price of not knowing that. I thought, oh, they're all going to be the same. Yeah, I'll take this guy. Well, and then, and then Brian uh, or um, Michael Rubino was like, "You paid how much?" I think it was like twenty five hundred bucks or whatever it was. He was like, "That should have been five hundred dollars." You know? Yeah. It's like ah, yeah. So yeah, and that's what's hard because you want to make sure that it's just they're strictly doing their testing. That's it because you can get in a whole kind of sticky situation. Yeah, yeah. That's- now we we obviously will recommend who to call, who to work with. We will help you along the way. And it depends on what level of service package you get from us. Okay. Depend on you know how much hand-holding. You know, a basic package will come in, do the testing, give you the report, here you go. The more of our advanced VIP type package, I'll be more personally involved. I'll hold your hand kind of through the process and help you make sure to the end because ultimately what we want is you to be more healthy. And if you're like, well, I am healthy. Well, you can get better. There's more. There's, you can have more energy. You can have more testosterone. You can have more mental clarity. There's a lot more you can have. Plus, better sleep. Better sleep. There, I could go on and on. Yeah. These affect everything. But also, what are we preventing? Do you know that right now, one out of two people on this planet right now are going to get cancer? And within the next 20 years, they're saying 90% of the people on this planet. I was just talking with a cancer doctor that I do a lot of work with. 90% of the people in 20 oh, years from God. now are going to get cancer on this planet. That's just the way that the number trajectory is going. That's insane. Right. And so you think it's expensive to install a water filter or do some shielding or buy healthy products. Wait till you get cancer. That is expensive. Not only is it expensive, but your life could be on the line. Yeah. So I, me personally, when I see some of the price tags on some of the things to be healthy... That's nothing compared to me getting the news that I have cancer one day. You know, I have to tell my kids that. So I take that seriously. I'm with you too, man. I don't, uh, I don't really live a life of luxury with the exception of all the health stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, what, am I, what, do I need a new TV? Like, no, it's, TV is fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, even cars, whatever that kind of stuff. I mean, I do have a pension for a vacation every now and again, but... Yeah, I'm. I think the most important thing you can invest in is your your own health, whatever that looks like. Yeah. You know, honestly, because your entire quality, not just duration, but maybe even more meaningfully, the quality of your life is dependent on that. It's yeah. like nothing else matters if you don't have your health. And yeah. any of us that have ever just had a flu know that, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're sick, life sucks. Mm-hmm. You're talking about chronic or even terminal illness you know, which I haven't really experienced in any meaningful way, mm-hmm. then your life really, really sucks. Yes. I mean, and then how do you even come back from that psychologically? It's just, 
I've known so many people that have experienced that and yeah. largely from lifestyle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know you're spiritual and you contemplate and you think, and really when it comes down to it, all we need to be is just appreciative that we're alive. The fact that we're alive and that we're healthy, that in itself can bring so much happiness and joy. It's not all the other peripheral things. They're nice, but when it comes down to true happiness, that's all that you need to recognize the love we all have and the connection. Everything else is just gravy, you know? Amen. And so if you don't have your health and your mind to appreciate that, then you don't have anything. Amen, so brother. It's got to be first. Last question for you around what people can do on their own. So I did the water test off your website, sent it in the lab myself, got the results. Um, you were mentioning earlier, I think something about in the future, you guys having kind of a, a EMF version of that where people can do some degree of testing of the EMF in their house without having to hire you guys to come out and physically be there. Yeah, so one thing that, one of the positive things from COVID is that it taught us that we don't necessarily need to be in person with everything. And one of a good example is telehealth from doctors. We don't necessarily have to be in the doctor's office. We've done it several times where you get online in a Zoom and you book a call and you, you meet with the doctor and sometimes they can even mail you some things and take your blood, sample this and send me the results. And we're developing something right now where we're almost finished with something similar, kind of like a checkup for the body, but we're doing the checkup for the home to where we can send you the equipment. We can get on a Zoom call with you. We can show you, go through the house, walk through. You can take the sample, send them in, and we can get the majority of what we can do in person, we can do over Zoom with this kit. And so oh, cool. that's going to be is coming gonna, out pretty is soon. Is it going to be inclusive of the, like the air and, and other things too, or just the EMF? No, we're going to do the full kit. Because, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, cool. I used to do stuff all la carte, but I found that it's not just one thing in a home that's affecting, it's a combination of things. And so if we're really going to get to the root cause of optimizing your life or your health or making you better, I mean, sometimes I deal with cancer patients that are terminal and we're just trying to give them as much life as possible. And so let's look at everything. Let's look at the whole picture because I don't want to focus on EMF when you're using toxic chemicals or you have lead in your water. So (laughs) we want to look at everything and let's do the low-hanging fruit, the important stuff, and then let's kind of... Let's, bring every, let's start bringing everything down. But if you have something way over here, if you got black mold underneath your sink, that's the first thing that's got to go. Or you got lead in your water, we got to get this stuff. And then we'll start bringing everything down together. So the kit that we're putting together is going to be all-inclusive. It's going to have awesome. all the things. Dude, awesome. Yeah. Great move. Great work. Yeah. Thank you for doing what you do. I hope, you know, I mean, there's only so many of you. I don't know what your plans of scaling, you know, the worldwide domination as a company are, but... I wish there were like a company like you on every corner. You know what I mean? I mean, this is so important for people. The people that are interested in this, at least, right? Where you can take the guesswork out of it. Because the guesswork gets expensive, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the time and energy and just like getting shit wrong because you read something on some blog or listened to it on a podcast, yeah. you know, and you've been implementing something that doesn't work or is a waste of time or money. So I, I like the the idea of just a professional inspector. And if some people have the ability to do that themselves, um, that's really smart too. And yeah. I'm, I'm assuming much less expensive. Well, it's, it's commonplace to inspect a home when you buy it for structural and safety, and, but there's nothing to do with health. I mean, just like we would go get a checkup every, day, every year on our body, it's, I think it's super critical to get a checkup on your home, make sure your home is not. I mean, there's the things that are obviously killing you if you've got a carbon monoxide leak or the toxic chemicals and the mold, but... There's also a lot of preventative maintenance stuff. This low-level stress that we're in day in and day out, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 
that is going to be causing the tumors and these, these low-level chronic inflammation that leads to these bigger chronic illnesses. And so it's important to nip this stuff in the bud before it even starts. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm glad you said nip it in the bud. Um, one of my weird little OCD pet peeves when, when people say nip it in the butt. <laughs> like it's a, I think it's a term from like florist, right? Nip it in the bud. It means like you cut the flower off when it's still in the bud phase and then yeah. it opens. So anyone listening, please don't say nip it in the butt or I won't be your friend anymore and I'll judge the shit out of you. Uh, who have been three teachers that have influenced your life uh, or your work that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, you know, I mean, I'm not a big religious man, but I do believe Jesus led a lot of good examples for us. You know, how to love one another, how to forgive, how to not judge. I think so. I just broke the rule. <laughs> that's, no, that's <laughs> I have sinned, Father. Yeah, no, I, I think he has a, a lot of good advice to give. My parents definitely teaching me how to be a good person when I was young, taught me how to work. I grew up on a farm and it uh, wasn't always fun to go out and work when my friends are going to play, but I learned how to have a good work ethic because that I appreciate that. And then, you know, when I was doing the nightclub industry, I had a mentor, John Gibson, that was he was like a superstar. He all the acoustic stuff. He taught me about psychoacoustic analysis and how it affects the brain waves and acoustics and vibration and such a deeper understanding of our, you know, these vibrations and frequencies that we can't see that affect us and then show me the experiments and just open my eyes to a whole other world. And I mean, that's, I mean, those three, I mean, there's tons. There's so many, yeah. I could go on and on. I learned from everybody. Yeah, me you know? too. Me too. Yeah. I learned from every person who sits in that seat like you. Yeah. So thanks for coming and schooling me today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, man. This is great. It's yeah. Good Likewise. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming out to the house too, man. It's been really fun. And yeah. you know, everything that I've learned over the past couple of days is is valuable to not only myself, but anyone I can share. I mean, just the thing about the grounding or how to set your phone. I mean, these are really simple, practical things that so many people, including me, get wrong. So yeah, I'm like loaded with a bunch of new information now. So thank you. Yeah, perfect. If you're still tuned in at the end of this one, I have a hunch that you are willing to make your home environment a priority in 2023. So as we close, I'll remind you to get in touch with Ryan and his team at lukestory.com slash home testing. They've got a special offer for you there on Ryan's extensive building biology resources. And word on the street is that by the time this episode drops, they will have complete home test kits available as well for those who are unable to hire test my home to come out and do it for you. And trust me when I say this is an incredible resource, so I'm excited to share it with you. Again, you'll find it all at lukestory.com slash home testing. All right, next week's episode will be our third of the year. And again, part of our new year, new you series. This one will be episode 453 with Dr. Dan Pompa. It's called New Year's Revolution, how to detox the body deeply and safely and why it's critical to do so. So we started off 2023 here with three important episodes to help you reorder your life for the best year possible. Make sure to click subscribe or follow on your podcast app right now so you don't miss any of the upcoming shows. Uh, We've got an incredible year of content coming your way and I am more committed than ever to keep the hits coming. So thank you for joining me on another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Podcast.